0: 1159 at Radio Free America, and this is Uncle Sam with music and the truth until dawn. Right now, i got a few words for some of our brothers and sisters in the occupied zone. The chair is against the wall. The chair is against the wall. John has a long mustache. John has a long mustache. It's 12 o'clock, Americans, another day closer to victory. And for all of you out there on or behind the lines, this is your song.
1: And welcome everybody to our daily gun show. We come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern, and we talk about guns for about an hour or however long we can go. So we go we go live at midnight, and we do this so that we can own the night. We want to do something like an Art Bell show, eventually just going live for a long format all night long, talking about Second Amendment and then guns, I guess also. But uh, we've been sharing the gun community since 2005, daily. Uh, Full-time since 2006, just covering gun stuff, going to gun shows and crossing the country and going to gun shops and museums. On Mondays, our goal with the show is to uh, motivate Second Amendment activists, give people uh, some inspiration and some uh, awareness, uh, some behind the scenes. And when I can, I bring on activists to interview. I use the style of James Kalita, where I'll attempt to just shut up and let the guest. Talk about three things, who they are quickly, because hopefully you know who they are. Uh, And and usually I talk to people after they've been on Riding Shotgun with Charlie, which will give you a good introduction to the person and the work that they've done. But then why they do it and how they're doing it. And tonight we've got a a full-time Second Amendment activist, somebody that I've been looking forward to chatting with for a while. And after listening to the interview with Riding Shotgun with Charlie, even more so, um, but mainly one of the reasons is because you've got more access to uh, Melius than anybody I've known so far and you might be the only other person I know that likes Red Dawn as much as I do. so uh, we'll chat a little bit just, here. I don't,
0: I don't just like Red Dawn. I think Red Dawn was 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 truly a a movie that that set my my life on a on a particular path. I mean it was truly. I don't even call it a movie anymore. I call it a documentary. But I, I'm, I'm glad to see I found a fellow Red Dawn friend. Uh, I like yeah. the intro to your, your show. That's awesome.
1: Right on. Yeah, and no, I agree. Um, it is. And then the more interviews I listen to of people that have accomplished great things, uh, they'll also mention that Red Dawn inspired. Uh, at a time when, well, the, the Cold War was um, was kind of overwhelming. And it wasn't sure how it was going to end. And and Red Dawn gave us some, some solid, some steel, right. Some guidance, not so much specific guidance, but just a a pop culture reference that we could all use and stand behind. And it was just the right thing at the right time for a lot of us, but without getting into Red Dawn too much, we'll end up getting into Red Dawn. Uh, You're on the road right now and you're about to head past Red Dawn. So we'll end up talking about Red Dawn here, but we're talking to Michael Schwartz. You do a couple of different things. You got to, like I mentioned, you're a full-time Second Amendment activist. Uh, You host the Gun Owners Radio Show. Uh, You've got the San Diego County Gun Owners Organization. Uh, You've hosted the Gun Prom. Uh, You've franchised the concept of building a two-way organization. There's other places in California that have those, but you're probably better at giving an elevator speech than I am trying to describe your accomplishments. So if you would, I'm going to, again, try to just emulate James Kalita here, give you as much time as you'd like to chat about who you are quickly and then because I hopefully again people know who you are but then let's talk about why you do what you do because again you've accomplished a lot of stuff and had a great time to be doing it so anyway thanks again for joining us especially since you're on the road and uh i think take take it away
0: absolutely pleasure is all mine truly an honor to be on this show i really really appreciate you uh reaching out it's uh, uh seven years ago uh, we started san diego county gun owners and that was after Oh, about a, about ten years of being a, a frustrated activist. I was trying hard to get people to focus on Second Amendment issues in San Diego. You know, California's an enormous mess, and you know the other the other other states like to laugh at us. But I got to tell you, um, th- there aren't a lot of states out there that that are uh, that are all that great when it comes to Second Amendment anymore. Um, you know, you look at you know we just went through, I just went through Arizona. You know arizona has a state their their senator is the head of an anti-gun organization um they voted for biden in the last election i mean you know california has a reputation and they've earned it for being extremely anti-gun uh but guys it, it is spreading all over the place and it's getting uh in some ways it's getting worse in some places that used to be strongholds it's getting worse however uh I, I digress we uh i was doing a lot of activism to just try to get people to focus on second amendment issues i wanted you know, elected officials to solve some of the problems. We had a, a, a you know a ban on semi-automatic rifles that they call it an assault weapons ban. We had a ban on a lot of commonly owned um, uh, pistols. We have this roster, the safe handgun roster, that was in effect a slow-moving de facto ban on pistols. We couldn't get a, a concealed carry permit. Um, we had a lot of problems, and the more I worked uh, with with different elections the more frustrated I got. Uh, the more I realized that I was just kind of getting placated and, and people weren't really um, uh, paying attention to The second amendment it was almost a novelty. Hey, here's the gun guy. He's gonna talk about guns. Aren't guns cool? Okay, go away now so we can go talk about real politics. And I just get endlessly frustrated, endlessly frustrated. So what I did is I looked around San Diego to see, okay, who, uh, what organizations are picking the elected officials, you know, how are these elected officials getting into power? And I found out that on the right-hand side of the political spectrum, the Republican Party somewhat, um, and then there were a couple of political action committees, a couple of organizations that really were raising a bunch of money, they had full-time staff, Um, they had access to media, and they were getting people elected. On the left-hand side of the spectrum, the political spectrum, Uh, the democratic party really was nowhere near as effective as people thought or were were, were talking about they really weren't doing much at all it was mostly unions the on the left side of the political spectrum in san diego is mostly unions and again the unions had full-time staff they were raising big money they were enormously focused they had huge membership and they had access to media so i decided all right um you know what i want to do because the Republican Party, try as I might, would would just not turn into a Second Amendment organization. You know, like I said, it, it was kind of like I said, it was just kind of a novelty. You know, they'd let me give a speech every now and then and give me a little, you know, chuck on the shoulder and say, gee, golly, thanks for doing what you're doing. But it really wasn't. I wasn't moving the ball.
1: Sorry, I'm taking notes. This was the Republican Party, you said, that was disregarding you?
0: Yeah, the San Diego Republican Party. So the local San Diego Republican Party. Just They just weren't. It just wasn't effective. I would go to different gun uh, clubs, you know, and private membership clubs. And they they had what a friend of mine termed it um, battered gun owner syndrome, in that they just thought, you know what, if we just don't make any noise, if we just don't rock the boat, you know, for real quiet, uh, everyone will just leave us alone. And they were, they were so used to losing that um, they just didn't—they didn't want to rock the boat. They just thought, "Hey, just leave us alone," and we, we don't want to get involved. So, I figured out that that wasn't going to work. So, uh, I sat down and really designed a plan, an idea that incorporated all the winning pieces, but focused it entirely on the Second Amendment. And one of the first decisions I made was was to name the organization. Um, and name the organization so that it's crystal clear what we're doing. Um, I got a lot of advice from people that said, oh, well, you, you should call it the, you know, the freedom and liberty coalition to do good thing or whatever, right? All these convoluted names. And I said, no, nope, I want to go right for it. We're going to be San Diego County gun owners, period. Um, and so it's crystal clear what we're trying to do. It, it, you know, and, and and then it's it's crystal clear that we're, we're laser focused. We don't. We don't get involved in any other organizations, or I'm sorry, any other issues. We don't have uh, uh, formal ties with any other organizations. We have our agenda, and it's the Second Amendment, period. So we decide. I, you know, we put together this this plan, this program, to have full time staff to take membership, and uh, the donations from the membership would uh, would do all kinds of things, but mainly it would help people get elected. We get people who we vet um, the resources they need to get elected. I didn't want to compete with other organizations. I didn't want to do what was already being done. Even if people thought that it wasn't being done effectively enough, I didn't want to fight with people on my side. You know, I didn't want to split hairs and I wanted to do something that wasn't being done. So we decided to focus just on local politicians. So city council, school board, sheriff, county board. Um, I also didn't want to rely on, I felt like the gun community, and we're still, I think this is still a problem. The gun community is too reliant on lawsuits. Uh, We have way too many eggs in the lawsuit basket. And I think that it, um, I think part of it is that we're lazy. You know, that we don't want to go out there and walk neighborhoods and get people elected and do the hard things like raise money. We just, you know, oh, well, we'll just sue. And then that's that. So I really, uh, that wasn't ever really part of the plan. Lawsuits weren't ever really part of the plan. That changed a little bit, um, a lot of it later. And I'll I'll talk a little bit more about that. But um, I got together. So I I looked around and, and tried to figure out, well, what kind of entity do I want this to be? You know, it, it, I, do I want it to be a private business, like an LLC or a corporation? Uh, it can't be a 501c3, that's a charity, and they can't get involved in politics. Should it be a 501c4? I didn't really know. So I, I just picked a lot of people's brain and came up with a, a political action committee, a, a PAC, um, and the PAC gives the mo- most amount of leeway, uh, especially when it comes to political activity, and we could do everything we want uh, we could endorse candidates, we could give money to candidates. we could spend money on behalf of candidates. we could take donations. we could have full-time employees. We could do everything we wanted. So we opened, I opened up a pack, opened up a pack. I got an extremely knowledgeable and very professional CPA whose specialty was campaign finance and, uh, and said, hey, I, I need you to make sure that everything I do is done properly uh, you know and, and to the letter of the law because there is a lot of very serious uh, laws and very serious consequences when it comes to campaigns. And you know, San Diego, have, we have 18 cities, we have a county, we have all these school boards. Each one of these cities has a different set of laws when it comes to um, you know, how you can spend money in, in politics. And then there's state and federal laws too. So that kind of thing, that nuts and bolts kind of thing is extremely important. Um, You know, if you raise money and I've seen so many people and organizations, you know, they storm in and they make this big splash and they don't do the little things right. They don't dot I's, they don't cross T's and they're gone tomorrow. And I've seen people, you know, there are heavy consequences. There's jail time for breaking campaign law. There are uh, huge financial penalties for cap- breaking campaign laws. So I said, hey, I don't want to do anything in the gray area. I want to make sure everything's above board. Um, so got got a very qualified CPA to do that. Um, got together a group of, of volunteers and said, hey, I, I need leadership. I need some oversight. Um, I need some credibility. And uh, so, boom, you guys are my board. We put together bylaws and we started taking membership. And the first year was touch and go. It was really, really tough. Um, it took uh, it took a while to, to gain some traction. I think the first year we well, was first year we signed up four hundred members. Um, but that was you know it's like that was four hundred cups of coffee. You know, for me, you know, sitting down with people saying, "Hey, I have this idea. Please help." Um, I remember it was about a year into it when we got the the first person who signed up that I didn't know. Um, You know who I hadn't personally solicited. I actually called the guy and said, "Gee, how how did you hear about us?" And he had a friend who knew a guy, and he talked about us, and boom! And I was just so tickled; I I couldn't stop smiling all day. I couldn't believe that a stranger had heard of our organization and signed up. And I was so happy and proud. Um, How long
1: after, like, how long after, like, whatever you just actually, I should ask the question: What do you consider like dotting the sentence? Like, when did the organization start? And then what kind of time frame are we talking before that first member like that? Was that like a week? Was that like a month?
0: Good question. Okay, so in, we started in 2015, towards the end of 2015. Um, <clears throat> we had our, our first big event was Christmas 2015. We had a big Christmas party. Um, and uh, we had, a you know, we added some giveaways. And I don't know, we had two 300 people at this party. It was really amazing. So that first year, so basically 2016, we signed up about 400 people, 400 members, and uh, it, it took about a year before uh, that person who signed up, who was a stranger, took, took about a year. Dotting the I's and crossing the T's, you have to, with a political uh, organization, with a PAC, you have to get uh, thorough and accurate information on donors. You have to know certain information on donors, um, you know their address, who they work for, their name, that, that sort of thing when you spend money so when money comes in or out of a pack it has to there are certain there's that's where the law hits you have to have certain uh uh paperwork in order to get money out of a political action committee account <coughs> excuse me you have to have certain information on all your donors um so that's really the serious stuff you know when money moves in or out of the account you you have to do it properly. It has to be the right paperwork. It has to be for the right purpose. It has to, it has to be for so right You point. don't have
1: like drone accounts with some rich person who creates a thousand drone accounts with whatever the amount of money is, so that they can move money to political campaigns under the thresholds or something, right?
0: Exactly right. So if 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 the maximum amount you can give is five hundred dollars to a to a to a uh, candidate, <clears throat> this prevents you know you from giving five hundred dollars and your business from giving five hundred dollars and your you know, some alias giving fraud, exactly right. That's exactly what they're trying to avoid. But the other thing they're really trying to avoid with a lot of these these campaign laws um, is they're really just simply trying to stop organizations from having such a big impact um, because they do. You know, PACs have an enormous impact on elections. Um, so, uh, you know, the harder they can make it, uh, the, the, the better. Um, is, that truly, it.
1: is that truly solely based on size, or is it going to have other uh, tactics or other tools?
0: Well, so that, that's an excellent question. So there's two answers to that. Uh, money is extremely important in politics. So, money, if you can raise a bunch of money, you're going to have a way better chance of winning any election because, and it's not this nefarious thing. You know, people, I, I've never seen anything in seven years. Um, that was, you know, unethical. You know, nobody's getting bought off. There aren't, you know, there, nothing like that happens. That's all the movies. If you have more money to get your message in front of people, the more people are going to do what your message says. That's all it is. So if you have $10 and your opponent has $100,000, the ability to get your message in front of people with a hundred thousand dollars is, you know, extremely important. So voters are generally, they're kind of lazy and they're uninformed. Unfortunately, you know, they're living their life. They have kids to raise and a job. So if you can get information in front of them and say, Hey, here's why you got to vote for this person, you know, you're, you're going to win and it takes money to do that before our organization, I was a part of campaigns for great, great candidates. Um and they couldn't afford to give me a stack of flyers so I could walk door to door in a neighborhood you know, and just tell my neighbors about them. They couldn't even afford to give me five hundred flyers. you're not gonna win that way. so so that's part of it. So the money is definitely part of it. you know, if you want to outraise your opponents uh, you know every single time it, it, it's it's extremely important. but the other part of it is, um, you know, we called it San Diego County Gun Owners, we have a logo, you know, we're laser focused, we're nonpartisan, um, just Second Amendment. We, I wanted to create an organization um, whose messaging and purpose and actions uh, were something that people could trust. Because I knew we weren't going to get the millionaires that were going to fund our pack and and give us, you know, tons of money. I knew that we were going to get it kind of be the Joe and Jane lunchbox of, of packs. And we are, we've pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps, you know, 10 bucks, a hundred bucks at a time. So what I wanted to make sure is that our organization always told the truth, told it straight, didn't look like an extremist organization, didn't look like a, a militia. I wanted to make sure that people could trust us because trust goes a long way in politics a long way in politics um so those two things if you can get a lot of money and you can and, and reputation basically money and reputation um you know that's enormously uh, important in politics because in politics you really only have you have two tools people and money that's it your ideas don't matter your pedigree doesn't matter if you went to Harvard or you didn't graduate high school, doesn't matter. What matters is you have enough people and money uh, to win. That's it. If you have great ideas and you have no people and no money, um, you're going to just sit on the couch and, and yell at CNN and yell at Fox News and nothing's going to happen. If you have horrible ideas and you have a ton of people and a ton of money, you, they're going to get implemented. When
1: you say people, we're talking not just the vote, but also the awareness and the, like you say, door to door stuff and the manning boots places and the being able to have a competent conversation with co workers or people at church or school or whatever.
0: Exactly right. Um, people to do all the above. People to you know, help you raise more money, people to- well, get And they know money. that the
1: packs are like an extract of people that are motivated to that, right? So so if they know you're a person in a pact, it's like having a hundred voters or like some scale, some ratio of voters, right? Like these are people that are not just gonna vote once maybe on our direction, but they're gonna go out there and make a big noise about it before and
0: after. Uh, so I'll tell you a quick story. Um, <clears throat> a year ago, there was a special election in a city in San Diego, uh, La Mesa. And we endorsed the candidate and uh, she happened to be a Republican and her district was way, um, uh, outnumbered, uh, Democrats. So there were way more Democrats in her district than Republicans. So she had an uphill battle. We endorsed her. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had people walking. We had, I think in, in like three or four weeks, we had something like 87 people that would that showed up at her office, took literature, walked neighborhoods, you know, hit hit up voters in their house, said, "Hey, here's the person to vote for." Uh, there was one guy, who on, his, on his Harley, drove up and down the street with a uh, "Vote for you know this candidate" uh, sign. Um, she would run into people all the time. She had this story about how she went to the airport because she lost her phone um she had two phones she was a realtor so one phone was for work and one was for personal she lost her phone she went to the airport to go to the lost and found and the guy at the lost and found said oh yeah i know who you are she's like well how do you know who i am And, and the guy said san diego county gun owners and uh she just everywhere she went it was it was the most fight club moment i've ever heard of everywhere she went you know people had heard of her because of san diego county gun owners so it, that's a force multiplier you know people are going out and saying hey this that we trust this person who's been endorsed because we know san diego county gun owners and we know they do their homework and we know that they tell the truth and we know that they you know do do all the, all the things that are important when it comes to the second amendment so that's what i mean by people um you know people wearing logo t-shirts and people showing up and being a part of organizations um but their foundation is san diego county gun owners So that was a big part of what we did. We uh, um, were up to 3,400 members, um, which I'm extremely proud of after seven years. Um, that first year, one of the other things that a lot of the organizations did is they had a, a gala. Um, they had a big uh, award ceremony gala where, where you know, people would dress up, show up. Um, so we started gun prom. It was actually called, it was originally called the Second Amendment Celebration Dinner. But all these activists got dressed up. They, I, I tell people that we we hosed ourselves off, and uh, you know took off the the 511 and uh, you know all the other gear that we we wear at the range, and we we put on suits and we went and had this gala. And someone made the joke that hey, this is like gun prom, so it got uh, it got nicknamed gun prom. And you know we invite uh, elected officials and folks that are locally famous and. Uh, we give away awards and we just celebrate the second amendment and it's 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 a show it's a fundraiser but it's also a showpiece we invite the news they come down and cover it um so that's been enormously successful and the other thing is i i really truly the, the gun world uh the activist world uh, when it comes to the second amendment has made an enormous mistake over the last 30 years um in that they've they've ignored the media they've taken on this idea that hey we're not going to not gonna get a fair shake in the media therefore we're gonna you know forget the liberal media we're just gonna ignore them well that was that was a huge tactical error um because the media now just goes and tells their story to 90 percent of the nation um and, and we don't get to tell our side so i engage with media i spend a lot of time and a lot of effort first off crafting our message um and then reaching out to media and forming relationships making myself available to anybody who wants to interview us. Um, and we, we, you know, we, we do a really good job of representing, uh, like I said, the kind of the Joe and Jane lunchbox gun owner. Um, I think it's crucial. and It's been very, very successful. Anytime there's any kind of second amendment or gun issue or anything like that, um, they immediately call us and we get to, we get to tell our side of the story. One lesson I learned is if you drive the narrative, you know, when you, when you look at, a, at, a, at an article, uh, when, when a reporter writes an article and there's, you know, three quarters of the article is, is side a, and then, you know, one quarter of the article is side B responding to side a. Right. Um, so I I wanted to figure out how do I get to be, you know, three quarters of the article um, and that and you have to, you have to drive the narrative. You have to stick it out there and, and, and be, uh, what's happening, and make the other side respond. So one of the ways we did that a few years ago, we came up with this idea. Uh, we had our $10,000 gun show challenge. Every time a gun show would come to town, <clears throat> you know the other the other side, the anti-gun side, would talk about how, you know, the sky's falling and all this horrible crime is happening, and oh my gosh, why are we having a gun show? And, you know, think of the children and all This whole thing. So we decided, okay, well, we're gonna have a press conference. And the press conference. The point of the press conference is to offer ten thousand dollars to anybody or any organization that can show that you can do all these things. You know, buy a machine gun without a background check or whatever. While you know, same day um, at at a, at a California gun show, show us that you can do that, and we'll donate ten thousand dollars. But we know that you're if you you know that you're not going to be able to do that. And if you do do that, that ten thousand dollars is going to have to go to your legal defense fund. So every uh, news uh, uh, station in town covered it. We got the write up in the local paper. We got three quarters of the article, and then the other side got one quarter of the article where they looked like buffoons. You know, it's hard to respond to something, especially when you're being reasonable and logical. So that press conference and that driving the narrative thing, that's, that's another thing we learned is right off the bat, we got a lot of pressure to do marches and protests and I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do marches and protests. Um, we always look bad. Everybody always looks bad. They never work. Uh, you know, the last time a, a march worked was, uh, you know, Alabama in the 60s with Martin Luther King. And uh, that's it. You know, uh, nothing else has really worked.
1: How about rallies? What's your I, feeling on rallies?
0: Same thing. Marches, rallies, protests. All the, it, we, we all look like extremists. We don't have control of the message, you know. People show up and, and that are that are maybe on the the, the fringe, and then that's who the uh, that's who the the news uh, um, that's who they target, you know. And we we look we look bad. So w- instead, I said when I, I was talking to a friend, and he said, "Yeah, let's do this protest. Let's do this march." And I said, "How many people do you think you could get to show up at a if we do a march or a rally? Like, how, how many people do you think you could get to show up?" He said, I don't know, like a hundred. I said, well, that's nothing. That's a failure. You know, I said, what if we get those same hundred people to show up at a press conference, you know, cause only what five, 10 people usually show up at a press conference, let's get a hundred people to show up at a press conference. You know, cause now, you know, same thing, same message, same speech, but now you get TV cameras and you got a hundred people there. That's a story. So we don't do rallies, protests, marches. We do press conferences and press releases. Um, and that helps us get our name and our message and and our voice, you know, into people's living rooms. You know, we're, we're at the six o'clock news where we're, we've never been before. So I really I don't do protests, rallies or marches ever. I just don't. We show up at city council meetings. We do press conferences. We do press releases. We do media interviews. And that's been enormously successful. I, I think and, and, you know, this January 6th thing with Trump. Um, i think that's the best example of what i'm talking about um, i mean they just absolutely it's definitely off, the
1: largest scale right i mean people will have different opinions on both sides because there's you know the whole like peaceful protest thing or whatever like there's two sides to all of those issues too and people are willing to accept one version of how that went down but then they're only willing to accept one version, knowing there's two versions of everything you know it's like they're People are often selective on which one they're going to take except the one version of, but I think you're right. Like there's very difficult to, to, you might have the best message in the world put out there, but they're going to do whatever they want. There was a classic picture back in the day of a bunch of people that went to a gun buyback and they went there armed. They went there with sidearms and long arms over their shoulders. And from one angle, it looked like they were at some kind of standoff. And from the other angle, they were sort of doing the, you know, the guns aren't the problem. Ask me why, you know, they're trying to be peaceful, but armed, you know, the awareness type of thing. And it was all about the pictures, the two pictures were showing you the two messages taken from the exact same thing. Right. So right. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Right. So it's interesting. It's exactly yeah. It's exactly what I'm
0: trying to say. Is and, and, you know, the, the January 6th thing put aside where whatever you, whatever uh, wherever you are politically on that, just look at it from a PR standpoint. Um, did the people that day uh, further their message with people that that disagree with them? No, you know, they made it worse. They made it worse. So we've, com- we don't, we, we've completely avoided that. We've, we really, truly, we want to reach out to, um, you know, we want to reach out to people who agree with us, the low-hanging fruit, and get them involved, you know, doing something Meaningful, We're doing meaningful activism. We want to reach out to people who are on the fence, who can easily be uh, influenced and educated to to agree with us, and we want to reach out to people who are uh, who disagree with us, and we want to be able to figure out what you know what 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 makes them tick, um, so that we can resonate with that with with them. You know, I don't want to tell them. What's important to me about the Second Amendment? I want to know how can I make the Second Amendment important to them. And one of the ways uh, we do, I, I, we figure that out uh, is there's a book uh, uh, written by a guy named Jonathan Haidt, H A I D T, who is a self-proclaimed left-wing uh, uh, NYU professor, and he wanted to figure out how 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 do people uh, make decisions. on on politics. You know, how do they come to their conclusions? And he figured out that there were really six moral foundations that people base their decisions on. Uh, Sanctity was one of them, authority, liberty, um, caring, fairness. There were six of them. And he found out that if you're right of center politically, you typically value all six of them pretty equally. And if you're left of center, you really only value uh caring and fairness so let me give you an example real quick so like a uh one of the six moral foundations was was oh, sanctity. Sorry,
1: what, what was his name again i'm just trying to take notes what's short
0: what sure. jonathan hate h-a-i-d-t h-a-i-d-t um <clears throat> and it's the six moral foundations theory um so one of those six moral foundations was uh or is um sanctity so if you say hey look i care about the second amendment because it's in the constitution the constitution is the founding document of our country and and that's important you know it's written by great men and we founded this great nation okay so that's based on sanctity the sanctity of the constitution now if you're talking to somebody that doesn't value sanctity they're not going to care you know you're not going to convince them if you're sitting there saying hey you know the, the Constitution is important to me, but you're talking to somebody who doesn't care about the sanctity, you know, or the importance of the Constitution. You're never going to convince them. So he found out that most people, pretty much across the board, like political um, opinions that are founded in uh, caring and fairness. So, for example, I, I you know I support the Second Amendment and people's ability to be armed because i care about single moms who are trying to defend themselves and their and their kids you know it's not fair that people who aren't cops or military uh you know don't get to defend themselves you know that's not fair <clears throat> so all of our messaging is based on caring and fairness you know you never see us uh you know uh, scream about hey it's the constitution or uh, you know, anything like that. I mean, it's not that we don't value the Constitution. We do, but we're trying to reach out to people who don't. We want them. We're trying to educate and influence them. So we make all of our, our uh, messaging based on caring and fairness. You know, we talk about people who are unable to defend themselves. And therefore, you know, they need a firearm in order to protect themselves. We talk about how unfair it is. For example, one, one of the cases that, that we make a lot that really, truly resonates is the fact that California has a disproportionate amount of laws regulating firearms and California and and, and I'm sorry, these laws are disproportionately used against people of color. So, you know, therefore, and as we all know, you know, a lot of these uh, uh, laws are really uh, historically based in, in racism. Well, pointing out the fact that, hey, all these laws that you support Are really what they're doing is they're putting uh, you know black and Hispanic men between uh, 18 and 40 in jail for a long time and destroying communities that starts to resonate with people maybe it doesn't resonate with you but you're not trying to resonate with you you already agree right you're trying to find people who you know the Second Amendment maybe isn't their top priority or they have a different set of values. They look at things a little bit differently. So we're trying to figure out a message that resonates. Why does the second amendment matter to me? Well, that's why it should matter to you. Because California is, they're putting all these laws in place and they're using them disproportionately against the people of color. That resonates, You know, that's a caring uh, and, and fairness argument. We care about people of color. We care about their com- communities. It's not fair that these laws are, are put in place and they don't exist anywhere else and they're turning people into felons, you know, for doing normal activity. So Jonathan hates message, his uh, research rather, um, and what he found is <clears throat> something we use in our messaging all the time, all the time. And what? so what's the result? Well, the result is uh, the media it trusts us and says, hey, we know that if we go to San Diego County Gun Owners, we're gonna get a well thought out, accurate message um from from somebody that our audience is going to care about listening to um and we we get a ton of positive feedback every time we're on the radio or in print or on tv we get a ton of positive feedback it's extremely important
1: have you noticed that uh that um, kind of, it sounds like the same way that the DC project, one element of their project is to go to DC and meet with, well, at DC and state level and meet with the representatives to be an example of gun owners for those representatives, but also then to leave their business card, so to speak, and become a person in that, that person's uh, list of uh, contacts. If they have a question or something, they know that they're an expert in the field. It sounds like you're doing that with the media by kind of training them to uh, understand that you're gonna give them what they're looking for, a message that resonates with their viewers and not just a message that's a louder version of whatever's being yelled on the NRA ads.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's exactly right. So media, and we do we do the same thing with elected officials too at the local level. You know, hey, look, in fact, we have this pledge um, that we have people sign um, and it the pledge is it's not to agree with us, you know, every time all the pledge says is if something comes up that's gun or Second Amendment related, some kind of vote or something like that comes up, that you pledge to just sit down and talk to us. That's it. Just let us, you know, let it, let us make our case and give you feedback on it. Um, you know, that,
1: sorry, that's the politicians or that's the news people?
0: Politicians. We, we, we okay. give that pledge to politicians. Um, you is know, it?
1: It? that's an element of it or that's the whole pledge?
0: That's the whole pledge. And nice. and that's it. I mean, it's a softball, right? But at least it gets it it makes them if they can't sign that, if they if they can't say that, hey, I'm not even gonna talk to you, you know, or if starts rather, I'm sorry, if they do say I'm not even gonna talk to you, you know, when an issue comes up, you know, that's not just first it tells you a lot about who they are, but it's also, you know, even people that that support them won't support that level of extremism. Um, but the other thing is it gives us a way, uh, you know, a foot in the door. So, you know, if you want to sit down and talk to a politician, especially one that disagrees with you, what's the what's the catalyst? Why would they meet with you? Well, if we talk about these uh, these pledges, you know, at least it gets a foot in the door. And you sit down and talk and when you're knee to knee with with these politicians and just say, hey, look, we don't we're not trying to get you to commit to voting for or against anything. We just want you to to talk to us when something comes up. You know, can you agree to that? And that that at least starts the conversation, at least gets the foot in the door, um, and opens things up for when when the time comes when we do need to talk to them.
1: Have you needed to engage that or play that card?
0: Well, all the time, <laughs> oh, all the okay. time. Yeah, on the the local levels, even the school boards and city councils. Um, they're you know, they they do these resolutions. They have these regulations. Um, all it happens all the time. It happens all the time. So our ability to get in there and talk to them and explain, you know, why it is or isn't good um, is crucial.
1: So the next follow-up to that would be how often is it successful? I mean, obviously you're still doing it, so it can't be completely discouraged.
0: Well, so success, it depends on which which level is it. It's successful at helping us get in the door so we can have a conversation. It's successful at getting people to talk to us when, when the time comes. You know, is it success? Are we changing? Are we drastically changing minds? But just by getting them to sign a pledge, you know, a lot of people their minds are already made up. um, You know, so we've definitely killed some things. Um, In La Mesa, uh, they were gonna the city of La Mesa again, they were going to um, force everybody to basically store their firearms locked and or, or disabled. Um, that was a regulation that was coming up, and we 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 got that killed. We got at least one of the people who really, truly wasn't on our side necessarily. He was kind of in you know, a wobbly. Um uh, we helped get him to to vote uh, with us by you know being reasonable, having an open dialogue, having a relationship, that sort of thing. You know that being said, there's a lot of like the the city of San Diego has nine city council members. Um, eight of them are are you know vehemently opposed to uh, the Second Amendment. Uh, so no matter how many conversations you know how, uh, that we have with them are we going to change their mind probably not uh the real solution is to get the right people elected so we don't have to change their mind we already know they're going to make the right decision um but uh you know it's it's i think another way it works is uh, um that it makes us look very very uh, reasonable you know if uh, again kind of if, if they're unwilling to sign it um, you know, or, or if you're an organization that's, that's forcing people to make a pledge, you know, to only vote a certain way, you, know, you, you look like an extremist, especially here in, in, in California. You know, in California, uh, we're behind enemy lines. So it's the, the, we're the minority um, opinion and we're trying to influence the majority. You have to do things a certain way in order to, to be effective.
1: How often does that change? Like, is that something that you can pretty much come up with a recipe that's pretty common sense and it doesn't waver, or is that something that's in flux constantly and your that's a element of it is keeping up with the current or whatever? Uh,
0: which well, so I my my apology. I don't which which part? Maybe explain that a little bit more.
1: I guess I mean, as you were finishing there just talking about the way that you're dealing with the politicians and that i was asking you you know how do you measure success or you know is that card work and you know he said sometimes so i guess i was saying um uh nope i lost it too so yeah trying to talk and type everything here
0: well I, um actually that's okay I, I i think i understand what you're saying we i i, I can tell you that the more members we got uh, you know, when we only had 400 members, you know, we were kind of, gee, golly, gosh. It sure would be nice if, if you, you know, I mean, we were still aggressive and straight to the point, but you know, we also knew where where we stood in, in politics. With with over 3,000 members and with a you know six figure uh, budget, and we're actually able to spend money on on campaign. I, you know, things have things have definitely. It's a little bit more. Uh, it's, we can definitely be a little bit more, uh, have a little more swagger, you know, have a little bit more influence. You know, when people have heard of you, when you have a track record of success, you know, maybe you don't have to be as timid. Maybe that's the right term. We don't have to be as timid anymore, even though we're still outnumbered. Uh, people have seen that, Hey, you know what? We have a number of times been the difference between winning and losing in elections. And we've definitely been the, the difference between winning and losing. Um, when it comes to these resolutions, and regulations and that sort of thing, you know, if you can blow somebody's phone up or, or, uh, you know, convince people not to, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, that's changed a little bit, um, you know, uh, you get to walk a little taller and, you know, and, uh, you know, your chin's up a little bit more if, if, as you get, you know, more and more successful and as you, as you grow
1: Oh, I guess that's what I was trying to ask. And so, you know, is that staying consistent or is it is an element of it that you have to constantly be changing with the current? Because poli- I don't know how fast politicians change. Did you say that there was nine committee members there? Is that something like yearly it's changing and they're just always anti-gun, and but they've always got a different, you know, secondary issue? I'm, I'm guessing um, anti-gun is their first issue. They just also are anti-gun but some of them are there for schools some of them are there for traffic some of them are there for some other
0: reason right yeah you're exactly right and that was part of the problem was you know even the people that agreed with us on second amendment it was always like their fourth or fifth issue and yeah
1: part if they of could because it's also fighting uphill right like they saw no reason yeah. to go after it because it wasn't something that was even on anybody's radar right
0: yeah, it was, um, but it was, uh, um, there'd just been so much, it was just, there was so much else. There were, there were so many, you know, immigration taxes, you know, you name the other hot button. We were always like third or fourth, and a big challenge was to push our issue up to number one in in people's priority. Um, I've seen cities in, in the last, so we've been around for seven years. I've seen cities um, become more pro-Second Amendment, and I've seen a couple of cities become less, uh, uh, or I'd say more hostile towards the Second Amendment. Um, so we've had, you know, some successes, and we've had some, uh, you know, not so successes. Um, but the reality is, in San Diego, San Diego's got three and a half million people. You know, we're bigger than like 19 states. It's an enormous county. But uh, the reality is, more people own a gun, more people carry a gun, more people vote based on guns. Uh, more politicians are in office because of guns than ever before in San Diego. Um, so, you know, that part, there's a lot, a lot of, of uh, victory, um, uh, you know, even though there's, you know, something. There's no such, I, I, I say, I like to say that there's there's two kinds of people out there. There's people who agree with me and then there's the undecided. So, uh, you know, the people that, that don't agree with me, the anti-gun folks, well, they're just undecided. We're just going to have to keep working on them. So you know you only lose when you stop when you stop uh, when you stop playing the game. So um, some things have gone our way more. I'd say by by and large more things have gone our way than heaven. Um, but we just keep fighting. And there's no and I think you know you're talking to activists, there's no end. There's not a day where where it's over. Um, you know the, uh, the you know the price of of, of liberty is. Uh, you know ever vigilance, right? Isn't that the is that how it goes? I mean you right,
1: have to eternal vigilance, yep.
0: Yeah. Um so there's never gonna be a time where we can just hang up our hats and say, hey, we're done. You know, everything's you know uh, everything's gravy now. Um you know but the importance of like San Diego County gun owners and of course Orange County gun owners and inland empire gun owners is now there's an infrastructure So that we can continue having this message and get the the message out there on a consistent basis. Because before there'd be some big crisis and boom, everybody would scramble and they'd try to get a message out and they'd try to organize. And by the time they got organized, it was over. Um, So, uh, you know, but there's never going to be a time that you don't have to be an activist. I mean, we live in the country of the self-governed. You know, we we can't just leave it up to other people. We're always going to have to be involved. We're always going to have losses. We're always going to have wins uh, but we just we always have to continue to keep going there's never going to be a time where we're we're just done you know no matter what court case comes out you know heller came out in 2008 and everybody told me that was it you know the whole world's happy now uh you you can do anything you want now and then 2010 mcdonald's came out you know here we go now this is it this really has to be it this is the one you know, and, and now we have the Bruin case, which is great. It's better, than, it's better than the Heller case, to be honest with you. I think the Bruin decision is way better than the Heller decision. But it's the, it's not the end. The, the Bruin decision is really just a, a tool for us to use uh, for the next 10 years, 15 years, whatever. Um, but there's never going to be an end. We're always going to have to fight this fight.
1: And I try not to interrupt, but I'm going to go and interrupt here. So here's my campaign. Sure. I want to start calling it the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association decision. Because number one, it ain't Bruin's decision; he lost or she lost. I don't know. Who Bruin is. And second, Bruin is just their somebody who's got a hundred cases with their name on it. So why not make it the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association decision? Because it's a win, and we get to say New York State Rifle and Pistol Association all the time. It's a cool all thing right. to say. All
0: right, I'm gonna. Uh, I you have my word that I'm gonna start. I, I'm I'm adopting that right now. I think that's a great Everyone's
1: idea. Wrong. You know, um, um, Alan Corwin here in Arizona. Uh, yeah, the writer. Sure,
0: I know the name. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah I'm he, not sure we talked a lot. Yeah.
1: Corwin is the gun owner's guides and he's a publisher and he's done a bunch of books. Gun Saves Lives and the Billboards was his campaign here in Arizona. So anyway, oh. his thing is, is taking back the language. And ever since listening to him at Gun Rights Policy Conference like 2005 or actually a little bit before that, um, I won't say shooter because screw that. We're shooters. They're trying to take our word. That's a an engineered campaign to take our word from us they're murderers and there's you know murderers that's about it there's people that do murders right but shooters are us so you know that's that's given us a word away and he's got a whole bunch of them i'm sure you've heard the the, the paragraph from back in the day it was like a, it's been kind of memed around a while but anyway i wanted to interrupt you just there to say that but um you know we had um i like to think of it this way like you say Liberty requires eternal vigilance, you know, at one point there was muskets and then bolt action, semi-autos, and it goes on, right? Like the evolution of our technology goes on. Well, at some point we wrote down how to use that bolt action or that musket with a quill pen and then a pencil and then a ballpoint pen and now the internet and phones and social media, right? So we've got to be comfortable and capable with these tools to fight on all battlefields, on all levels for, like you say, liberty, right? I think of liberty as individual freedom with everybody working together. Like everybody's individual freedom hanging out together is liberty. So if we wanna protect that, we have to figure out a way to take that ability and hand it off to the next generation in a way that doesn't take much effort and inspires others and motivates others. So that's why I, th- I agree with you hundred percent that the efforts towards um, motiv- working towards the, the a long game and in, in, I don't forget a gaming strategy, what they call it, but it's not like a basketball game or a baseball game where we're looking for score points and have a win or maybe a season. We're looking to stay in the game. It's the long game. It's the, you win this game by being in the game. You lose the game by having your arguments taken away. And I believe we do that. You probably agree with me that we do that by education and awareness. As soon as there's enough people that are aware of what guns really are, this concept that one bullet can go five times faster than the other bullet would... Yeah dropped immediately it'd be lost right there would be nobody to laugh at it it would just be unacceptable That it wouldn't be able to be said and that's how you take it away from them no amount of yelling or complaining about your rights or your property is gonna take that away from them educating everybody who could care less so that they know that it's like saying something as, as obscure as like or as crazy as saying red cars are more dangerous than other colored cars like nobody would say that because everyone knows. And that's, the, that's how we win. So I think, you know, a lot of stuff we're talking about here is, is towards that agree. goal. But I think, you know, once we learn how to use the internet and are comfortable with the ways of communicating the same way we were back in the day, as soon as people could write with paper, I think we're the country that incred- and, you know, started the press and paper and all that kind of crap too. You know, we were comfortable with that stuff. As soon as we were comfortable with uh, muskets and the evolution to, you know, to, cartridges and bolt actions and the rest you know some people had to come kicking and screaming i'm sure to a lever action oh i don't trust it because of the volcanic you kidding me the volcanic was so weak i'm not shooting a lever action and then finally you know they came around to it and then eventually the lever actions looked at as old-fashioned so same thing with the internet right it's just another piece of tech and social media however we want to look at it but anyway um i'm going to ask you a couple of questions i appreciate you spending some time with us late at night like this for us it's not that bad it's where you're on California time. It's like 10 o'clock for us, but everybody who's watching this live, I appreciate you joining us in the middle of the night for most of you, but um, feel free to ask questions. You know, what I, my goal is to talk about a little bit about what you're doing. Cause like I could say most people I'm assuming knew that. So the why and the how, and you've really gone into a lot of that. And I attempt not to interrupt you. I've interrupted you a couple of times here, but you do have a couple of questions Um, So the big one, I think you've kind of mentioned it, but I'm going to ask it just directly in an open-ended way. How do you stay motivated as an activist?
0: (laughs) Um, Boy, that's a good question. I think that, uh, I I think, uh, man, I wish I had a really good
1: answer. Let me give you a chance to think about it. You're in California. For seven years, you've been a professional Second Amendment activist. I was going to ask you this question. Maybe it can help kind of just give you a second to think about it. How many gun owners are there in California? We've done the math and thought it was about 7 million. Are we anywhere near right? Something like 40 million people in California?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. So we're somewhere between 35, 40 million people. I, I don't know. I've never done the numbers for California. But in, in San Diego, we estimate it's about 400,000 people out of three and a half million. Uh, okay, but do I, you have an
1: idea of how many in that county. So then I was going to ask kind of also because I'm still kind of figuring it all out for people that don't pay attention to California. Cause San Diego is essentially the border with Mexico, the international border with Mexico, correct? And then up to L.A. And is it everything all across Arizona also or is that another county?
0: No, there's uh, Imperial County about halfway in- through halfway in the middle of the state there, it splits. So okay, so for
1: people that don't realize, like California hits the international border with Mexico, and that's where San Diego is, and Tijuana is on the other side, and that's where you've got the naval base, and it's pretty cool. A lot of people go there for vacation. As you come east towards Arizona, you're going to hit that desert, the real desert. Everybody thinks about the sandy desert of the south end of the uh, whatever, that salty sea, Salton Sea or whatever. So, so yeah. you're talking San Diego is from the mountains there. Going upwards until it hits uh, Los Angeles County, or is there another county up there?
0: Orange County. Orange County is the next one up north.
1: Okay. Uh, So, how big? My question was going to be then, now that we have some idea of the geography of the area, how big of a percentage of California is San Diego?
0: Uh, Boy, that's a good question. So, there's, well, let me give you a couple of numbers here. So, there's, like I said, between 35 and 40 million people in California, there's three and a half million people in San Diego County. There's about, uh, there's about 3 million, 3.2 million in Orange County, which is Orange County is basically a suburb of LA is really what Orange County is. Orange County is where Disneyland is. Um, uh, oh, see, then,
1: I wouldn't even know where the boundaries are. You said there's 3 million there?
0: About yeah, 3.2 million, something like that. Um, and then if you go from from Orange County, if you go East, there's Riverside County and San Bernardino County, and they're combined about, about 4 million people there. So we have an organization in San Bernardino and Riverside. We have an organization in Orange. We have an organization in San Diego. So combined, that's 3-6. That's like 10 million. So that's like a third, maybe somewhere around a third or just under a third of the uh, state. Um, we have organizations and counties that represent about a third of the state. And the next year we're actually looking at, uh, opening up LA County gun owners.
1: Right now, So in other words, that's not a dwindling. That's a growing exponentially type of thing growing quickly. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. So the influence there and like you say, seven years worth of wins. Now you've got the gun prom, which evolved and has taken on kind of its own thing. You've got the radio show. Um, and then I'm sure I'm missing things so on everything you've been doing. But uh, well, with all that, again, how do you stay motivated?
0: Or- how do you stay motivated? So uh, I think that um, I I just had a conversation with uh, a, a friend who's a part of the organization about this. You have to focus on the positives. Um, you have to focus on you. have You have to define you know success for yourself. Um, so. You know, if, if, if you just sit there and think, gee, gosh, this this didn't go right and that didn't go right and we didn't win here and Biden and, and this and Gavin Newsom and all, da, 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 da. yeah, you're going to lose motivation. But if you, if you think about, you know, hey, I, I just had this conversation with this guy who didn't like guns and now he does. Or, hey, I just trained somebody. Or, hey, I just, I just did a, a fundraiser or we just did an event. Um, you know, focus on the positive. You know, all the the, the, the little things. That, you know, uh, make sure that you're defining your success, and that you're not, you know, kind of this eeyore like, gee, nothing's ever gonna go right. You know, this Debbie Downer. Oh, golly gosh, um, do the things that are that are that 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 you're passionate about, and then you know, be extremely happy with it. You know, that you're having an influence, that you're actually, that the earth is a different place thanks to you walking it. You know, I, I focus on that a lot. In fact, um, I, I, that's exactly how I stay motivated. Because I know that, that, that what, we're do, what we're doing is extremely important. We're not Second Amendment activists because guns are cool toys. That's not why we do this. Um, a lot of us are far, far, far deeper into the meaning of, of the Second Amendment and, 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 and what it means to our country, what it means to us as individuals. Yeah, I like to tell people, uh, you know, there's about 5,000 years of human history, written human history. And it's only been in about the last couple hundred years that you could effectively defend yourself. And that's because they invented a portable firearm. And in that last 200 or so years, 200, 300 years, there have been enormous strides in individual rights. You know, we've had an entire country built on the idea that the government is, is there to defend your rights. You know, that it's the the, the, the the country of the self-governed. We've had seen enormous strides in the rights of, you know, minorities, women, you know, you name it. That's not a coincidence. That didn't just happen by accident. The reason that happened is because people were able to defend themselves. That's what's bringing around. Uh, this extremely and historic focus on individuals and liberty. Um, so this thing, you know, I, I frankly feel blessed to live in this small sliver of human history uh, where we're able to, to truly defend ourselves. And that's why we're involved. It's that important to us. So focus on those, that, that, that level of importance and, and, and you know, the, the things that you're doing matter at that level. You know, I don't know how I could do anything else after this. I don't know what job anyone could possibly offer me that would be anywhere near as fulfilling as as defending that level of importance uh, you know in society.
1: Well, I guess if we're gonna catch you off guard in the middle of the night with a question like that, we'll accept that as an answer. So appreciate it. <laughs> That's a great answer. So um um I don't want to appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, Then the, um, another question. I've kind of taken the shorthand as we were talking and we've already hit a couple of them. Um, You mentioned when you were building the organization at the beginning, uh, were folks skeptical or were they, when you talked about going to other gun groups or gun, did you say gun clubs, I think, and I didn't know if you meant, literally like going to a range I know in California sometimes you have to like a member of a range or whatever did you mean like go to a range meeting or did you mean like a club of marksmen or a club of Hunters like they get together like bass or a fishing club
0: yeah we have we have some of the ranges are are membership based so you have to be a member to shoot there
1: okay Uh, so when you took it to those kind of organizations you said that they were not necessarily they were kind of the well you didn't use that exact word but you know that they were similar to being the gun shy I'm gonna use that pun You know, scared saying, hey, if we stay quiet, they'll leave us alone, which I got to assume in a range. It's even worse because then it's noise and everybody else wants to use that land. And here in Arizona, we have a lot of um, uh, public land, not very much private land, and then a lot of its reservations. So we can't do nothing on there. So there's a lot of dual use or multi use public lands and a lot of issues with horseback riders, four wheelers, bird watchers, people who want to quiet people who don't care how noisy it's going to get. People who can work together, people who won't work together. I can't even imagine the scale in California with the number of people and everything. So when you go to one of those kind of groups, the number of influences got to be all over the place. I guess my question was going to be, were they like that? Were they just more like scared or were they skeptical that an organization coming along couldn't do it? Were they like eager but skeptical of you or were they just like not going to do it even if some superhero came by?
0: Um, there were, first off, there were a lot of people that are extremely supportive, but I think even the people, even a lot of the people that were extremely supportive were also realistic and were kind of, uh, secretly skeptical, like, nah, eh, all right, let's see how this works out. But there are definitely huge groups of people, uh, you know, gun owners who just, just ah, that's never going to work. I, I have a few stories of, uh, there's one guy who's a member. He's a really great guy. Um, I met him at a gun show. I, was, I had our, our booth up, and I was telling him, "Here's the plan. Here's what we're going to try to do," and he he poo pooed it all day long. You know, that's never going to work. You know, nothing good is ever going to happen. And uh, you know, he's now he's got his carry permit. Um, he, you know, he's a he's an active member. He comes to the meetings. He comes to our events. Uh, he wears our logo. You know, so yes, a ton of people were extremely skeptical. I, and, you know, I I kept my resume up to date, man. I got to tell you, there's a lot of reasons this organization shouldn't have worked, but we just refused to stop. And we, we stayed focused. And, uh, you know, uh, so even the skeptical people, we have such a, a great uh, track record now that uh, it's hard to you know, it's hard to argue. We've really, truly proven that uh that what we're doing is it works and it's funny so we we started an organization in orange county gun owners you know we started an organization inland empire gun owners up in riverside san bernardino uh, we're looking at la went up to even to the bay area san francisco everywhere we go and we talk about the plan or everywhere i go and talk about the plan we get the same feedback you know and it brings me back to 7 years ago you know when we were starting in san diego it's all the same pushback that's never going to work nothing good's ever going to happen you know the states lost. Um, you know there's too many people that you know no one will ever talk about that they're gun owners. Same stuff over and over and over again. Um, but I got to tell you, I've, 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 what what we're doing works. It, it's a heavy lift. It's hard. Um, it's not easy, uh, but it works. It's exactly what should happen and, and how it should happen in the world of politics.
1: So as you as you answered that one, it made me think to ask this question. And if you're not too constricted on time or kid kicking sure, out no, I got all
0: the time. Keep going.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate it. So uh, well be careful because I will go long, but I appreciate it. So that problem um, that I, I've haven't had the opportunity to ask too many people this question, but I think I might start asking it in my rotation. Um, but you're in California, and from what you just described, it sounds like you've probably had more contact with and probably more frustration from and with. So my question is, how do you feel about and how do you deal with FUDs?
0: <laughs> um, I, I think that y- you have to remember that they're on your side, you know. Um, so I'll, uh, I I, I always ask, you know, people ask like, you know, pe- typically how it happens is someone will ask me a question, I'll answer it and then they'll say, oh, well, so-and-so says it's, it's the opposite. And then I'll just go right to them. Hey man, uh, you know, here's who I am. Here's where I'm from, whatever. Uh, I just want to let you know, I just talked to so-and-so and and they said this and I wanted to clarify and show you, you know, this, that, and the other thing. It means that I, I just got, you got to remember that they're friends. And if, if, if somebody is telling you bad information, you know, it's spreading. So go right to the source, show them, you know, in a polite way, you know, we're friends. We're on the same side. They're not, no need to be rude. And just, you know, hey, here's what's going on, man. But but then you got to remember too, you can't sit, you can't spend a career if this guy's not going to believe you or he's he's not going to whatever. He's never going to, you know, come around exactly your way of thinking. You got to be able to walk away. You know, all right, well, thanks. You know, um, but that's another uh, that's another advantage. You know, we have Gun Owners Radio, we have our blogs on our website, we have a lot of of channels that we've set up. So if we do need to get a message out, we're able to do it. So, uh, so I'd say to handle FUDs, do two things. One is go right directly to them, be super polite, put your arm around them and say, hey, you know, let me show you why uh, what you're saying isn't accurate. Um, and then two, you gotta just be more effective at, at communication than they are. And make sure that you've set up you know, the ability to, to, to communicate with people so that your message gets out in front of their message.
1: Oh, okay. So I was actually, I'm trying to keep notes, but that was actually took me in a different direction. So in other words, don't try to necessarily have some kind of word battle with them. If they're not interested and you try to explain it as best you can, and they're not budging just to put a clear message out with your position to challenge or just to be another example for people who might be listening. And that's yep. that's awesome. Yeah. So then you're not really confronting them as much as offering well, and the thing is, there's hardly too many fuds that are out there effectively getting a message out into many platforms. But right. uh, yeah, I appreciate that because like I said, I mean, California's got a whole different situation going on there. You've got a whole history of stuff and just so many different, so many more people than most of us have to deal with. You know, it's just a different, everything's different situations are. Um, so I appreciate that answer too. Uh, so is it difficult to balance? So I forget when I put this one down here, but um probably when you were describing putting together the organization is it was or when you're probably when you're talking about working with media at some point is it difficult to balance the messaging to media versus recruitment to new members and in this like we kind of just mentioned here the the multiple messages that probably got to go out depending on which 2a or which gun person you might be trying to reach so the but is it is it difficult to do both to send messages out uh with a message, you know, with a reason and with an intent to the media versus uh, out to our own, like, you know, internal messaging?
0: No, there's no difference um, between messaging, uh, you know, whether it's new members or prospects or media or politicians, it, the message is consistent. Um, you know, we, we uh, uh, but what we do is we base it on, you know, the foundation that will resonate with the most amount of people. Um, so, you know, that's why that, that the, the idea of that caring and fairness thing, you know, that, that those two things resonate with almost everybody. That's why we picked to, to, uh, to talk about that. But I, uh, we, sp- I definitely spend a lot of time crafting a message. You know, if a reporter wants to do an interview, um, you know, I, I really, you know, a, a two minute interview with a reporter on the news, you know, somebody turns on the six o'clock news and they see a two minute report. And I have, you know, 25 seconds of a quote, that took me an hour to prepare for, you know, how am I going to explain this to them? What are we going to say? What 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 messages must air? You know, and I, I prepare before that, because it's that important. And then we use those media clips to to talk to prospects, and to talk to members and show them you know, hey, here's what we're talking about. Here's what we think about, you know, X, Y, Z, or here's what we think about, you know, whatever the the issue of the day is. Um, so, uh, so we don't, uh, so I guess uh, you're not, you won't see like a, uh, you know, some big, strong, whatever, you know, hoorah message to the members, and then some gee golly gosh, you know, member or, or message to uh, to the public. It's not the way we operate at all. Um, uh, so uh, I try to, st- we, we, I think we do a very good job of staying very, very consistent.
1: Right on. Cause I was thinking it was more of like a juggling, not so much cause a different, I was just thinking it was more of a. Uh, having a different conversation more than a different message. So that makes a lot of sense. If you're only putting out one message, I guess. And then that message is also recruitment because you're putting that message out in such a way that somebody'd be proud and want to support. So just kind of obvious to jump on board and support the organization that's got this message that you appreciate.
0: Yeah. I mean it was I was nervous too. I, I, I still sometimes when we when we get into the media and we do this, you know, this this fairness and caring uh, you know, uh, messaging, you know, it's sincere and it's real, but I, 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 I remember being very weary or, or very worried, I should say about, you know, will other, will other people get, get this you know, is the, you know, is this, if they see the second amendment argument, uh, in case put in a different way, um, will they, you know, will they accept that or not? And, and. I, I, tons of people, I, I, we really do get a lot of positive feedback for the, the way we talk about uh, issues and the way we talk about uh, the Second Amendment. So, you know, I, I got to tell you, I think uh, gun owners, one of the things I really love about working with, with San Diego County gun owners and all the other organizations, gun owners are pillars of society. Very thoughtful, um, you know, very meaningful, you know, self-reliant, tend to be uh, great people. So um, they get it, you know, it's pretty easy to be able to, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're sophisticated enough to understand exactly what, what, what's going on when we put out a message. So it's been really great.
1: The next question would be um, when we were talking about, uh, well, I was, I was asking about rallies, but I think you were talking about um, the marches and stuff like that more. Uh, are there just so kind of going along with that, that area. Are there any other gatherings for second amendment or for gun owners uh, that are more effective than rallies or marches that uh, you see as a potential?
0: Well, I, you know um, we have monthly meetings and we try to organize those meetings so that, yeah, they're fun and interesting and social, but so that when, if people walk in um, whether they're new or, or they've been a part of the organization for a while, we want them to walk into those monthly meetings um and walk out with with something to do um so we, if they come to that meeting and they they think to themselves hey i want to be effective and i want to actually do something um we, we we get that message across to them at these monthly meetings you know we do a lot we do a lot of events uh, we're, we're constantly you know education events or seminars on how to get your ccw or uh, we do shooting socials where we teach new shooters we have a women's program called not me where we teach women the, the, the idea is to um, stop sexual assault and domestic violence by making sure that any woman who wants who asks uh, is taught how to buy a gun is taught you know how to use a gun and uh, is we get her help uh, getting her carry permit and we have a uh, an army of, uh, of of women volunteers who help women to do, do that so we have a ton of events um uh and I, I think the key is 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 that people walk out of those events not feeling like they just wasted their time so when they show up you gotta you gotta have some kind of call to action like hey you you know even if they don't do it at least you can say hey you know what you, you, there's five things that, that we need people to do you know you know pick one or or pick two or at least you know what's available so I think those kinds of events are far more important. You know, rather than organizing a you know a rally or a march or a protest, organize a you know support for a campaign, a neighborhood walk, uh, organize uh, some kind of educational seminar, um, you know, something like that. I think that's far more effective and and and, and important.
1: i don't know. i appreciate that also because that's i don't know if you would ever been asked that before but it's super well thought out as far as um you know not just being so often we're contrary like oh i don't like this oh well, why well i don't know i don't like it so appreciate that
0: um well it, i think there's a lot of people out there that disagree with me on the on the on the you know don't do rallies and protests and marches i think there's a lot uh-huh. of people out there that disagree with me um and I, I think there's a lot of gun owners who would argue with me and and I, I absolutely respect uh, your opinion. Um, uh, this one's mine. And I've, I've really, truly put it into practice. And, and I've seen it work. And I've really, truly seen you know, rallies, protests, and marches not work. So it's, it's not always easy. But I, it, it's definitely something. It's not always easy to say. Because I know that I'm, I think I'm probably in the minority when I, when I say this to not do rallies, protests, and marches. But uh, it is something we put a lot, I've put a lot of thought into and, and a lot of analysis behind.
1: Well, you mentioned that, I guess, when you said that you uh, researched the positions, right, before you put them out there. You, you don't just uh, casually chat about it. But, uh, no, that's a bullshit question to ask because um, you make a good point there that uh, there's a lot of good potential. And it's not like a rally. I mean, if you're talking, it depends, I guess, what people are going to call a rally. I mean, I've been a bunch of 2 a rallies, and none of them have been crazy. They've all been kind of weird or boring, mostly, and uh, not a very effective. Potentially, depending on how you want to count effectiveness or whatever. But the fact that they existed is better than them not existing, for sure. And the fact that they give exercise to the organizations. But I agree with you on all those aspects. So um, all I'm saying is that you could apply some of the things that you just mentioned there as far as uh, having a call to action, letting people walk away, understanding that there was a reason for the event and that they can participate, that they play a role in that and they can literally walk away, especially if they were motivated to show up because they want to do something, you give them something to do rather than something to watch. That's what it's all about. So, you know, if a rally turned into more of a, let's get together and teach somebody how to be an activist, I think that's kind of what you kind of ended with too, making it into some sort of an event with a reason, like you know, goal. So um, I believe that, uh, you know, just asking the question and walking away from it would be a bullshit way to ask that question. So I guess, uh, again, I appreciate that you're asking or that you uh, mentioned that one, and I think that uh, as far as if if I would have just before we talked, if I would if you would just somebody would have challenged me and said I don't think there should be two A rallies, I'd have been like yeah, let's talk about it because I I'm a big fan. I've been to many of them, and uh, but the what you just said there is nothing you said there is wrong. Uh, so um, in fact, some of my biggest gripes about two A rallies is that you don't walk away exactly what you just said, like you put in a lot of effort on if you've ever been to one in New Mexico, but go into stupid Santa Fe sucks like Santa Fe is super old. There are rallies in the middle of their oldest part of town. And it's super hard to get there. They could have had a gun shop and a bus and like brunch after could have made it a big thing, make it like you say, into a social event. So the rallies, there's the optics for the news, turned it into a press conference. Like you said, none of that happened. Instead it was a bunch of just randomness and you know, the casual randomness or whatever you call that the roll of the dice and then the roll of the dice of what media decided to show up. Luckily it's in the middle of stupid Santa Fe, which is impossible to get through. So there's no media there either. But, uh, but again, yeah, I, that's one of my only gripes is that you end up driving for me driving from Tucson to Santa Fe it was quite a bit of effort. And then, uh, you know, to experience it, it would have been great if there would have been a little bit more going on, even something as simple as some exercises and getting people to meet each other instead of just standing there like a bunch of awkward teenagers at a dance or something. But but anyway, so I I appreciate that. And like I say, I'm I'm open minded enough to think that uh, I agree with you that I could definitely um, fight either way on uh, should there be rallies because there's potential for rallies to be really bad. I've always known that. But I also like the idea of setting precedents, and every single decent rally is showing that rallies don't have some natural tendency to go bad. That's just everybody's worse fear right that oh it's going to go bad and then we'll have bad optics although it's never happened even the craziest one but anyway i agree with you there could be a lot more going on and uh, that should be a challenge the only people i can think of that would take up that challenge because everybody else is kind of satisfied just to do them because unfortunately they don't happen with enough frequency and with uh, organizations with enough like real interest i guess i'd call it like you know full-time interest in it that they don't deal you know they're just happy to put it on and if it goes through they're they're okay with it um but the virginia citizens defense league seems like they put a lot of pride and a lot of effort into their rallies and they get you know a lot accomplished with theirs and uh and again it just seems like a kind of organization that would put a bunch of effort into those kind of aspects or features i guess if they were brought up
0: um, Yeah, and i'm not criticizing any organization for doing it i'm just suggesting there's there's, there's a there, there's 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 a, there are other, there are other effective things to do.
1: No, no. And that's another point of it. Yeah, exactly. So again, I appreciate not just being a contrary because a lot of people are satisfied with just pissing on something, not offering anything as an example, and you got a bunch of them. So the next question is, uh, are are there already any strategies for when politicians are better in California or is that kind of long-term stuff, just fantasy at this point, or is it kind of, again, knowing this is long game, is there stuff you could set? Because I'm sure people think about, I don't know if it actually happens, that the antis are setting up these complicated traps for us where, you know, this, this, and this, and then they got us. And sometimes it's, I'm sure, just consequence or happenstance. But either way, have we long-term strategies? Do we look at things like, well, if we nibble here and here and here, then we're setting ourselves up for that? Or when the politicians are our way, we'll have this in place?
0: Well, there's there's so there's, there, there's some very obvious things that we want to get rid of, like the assault weapons ban. The, uh, the the roster, you know that sort of thing, um, and San Diego County gun owners, um, we've we've partnered with Firearms Policy Coalition, who has been wonderful. Firearms Policy Coalition has been so wonderful to us. Um, such a fan of, of of what they of their work and what they've done, uh, and the way they've treated us is, is just been wonderful. Um, we've partnered with them to do some uh, some lawsuits. We're plaintiffs in some lawsuits, which we're very very happy about but really there's so much culture to change and the way we're changing the culture is number one with with carry permits um you know there were about 1100 carry permits in san diego county when we started and now there's over 6,000, um which is still not enough and they're increasing by oh sorry
1: sorry to interrupt what was the numbers again
0: uh started 7 years ago there's about 1100 and now there's about there's over 6000 62 6300 something like that right on and it's increasing by about 200 200 a month uh give or take so that's that's great but what that's doing and of course we're we're introducing gun ownership to people and uh you know we're getting people elected uh you know based on their their views on the second amendment what those three things are doing getting permits turning people into gun owners, getting people elected based on their second amendment views. That's actually changing the culture. So uh, the gun laws have been so bad in California that, you know, San Diego, uh, there's an entire generation, maybe even a generation and a half of people who have no experience with firearms uh, at all, let alone carrying one for, for defense. So uh, we're, we're, that's kind of the short, medium and long term plan is, is to help change that culture. Um, I, I think along the way, you know, there's not like a point like, well, how many people have to be gun owners in California before, you know, everything's solved. I, I, along the way, the more and more people, the more and more we change the culture, the better and better things get um, just as a result of that. I mean, you know, there's some things that we definitely attack directly whether it's in the courtroom or, or through politicians or or just putting political pressure on on politicians, that sort of thing. Um, but uh, that culture is, is really what what we're focused on on changing. I, we, I've met, you know, we're, we were going, especially at the beginning, I'd go around and say, hey, you know, if you're a voter, you need to worry about the Second Amendment. And here's our voter guide and whatever. And I'm talking to voters who have never touched a gun before and they're 40, 50 years old. So uh, I, I realized that hey, we we, we got to get we have to get them to to a point where they they actually have experience with what I'm talking about before the, we can get them to care about what, what I'm talking about. Um, so I, I can't really say that hey, you know, at this at this point, you know, in the future we're going to change this specifically. Um, the whole point is to just try to get to a tipping point by getting enough people uh, to you know to to agree with us, enough, enough people carrying owning. Um, And voting based on the second amendment
1: So I stepped away to get a drink here. So Along those lines is there some kind of projected or is there any way to know because I know population changes but is there some tipping point where we have enough votes or like you have enough gun owners on board to be influential to enough that politicians are listening to you like they used to listen to the NRA on the national scale? I
0: I don't know. It's tough to say, and it, and it, it, I work on such a micro level, you know, like, like the city of Santee, we're already there. The city of Santee has city council members that are always gonna agree on the second amendment, you know, that sort of thing. The city of Del Mar, we're nowhere near that. The city of Del Mar has, they're all anti-gun uh, owners. So I I guess I haven't really put that I haven't really quantified that or come up with a timeline for that. Um, I think we're we're too we're, we're probably too too early in the process. I just you know we're we're still swinging and 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 uh, you know we're, we're at, we've gotten a foothold and we've done a lot of really good things, um, but there's just so much more to do and it's just it's going to continue for for decades.
1: Um, so I guess I appreciate that answer again, because I'm just throwing these out there as I uh, as we are chatting here and I didn't prepare anything. I'm just been uh, kind of reacting to the some of your answers and then what people are asking out there when you mentioned partner when you said partner with FPC firearms, probably Firearms Policy Coalition. Uh, they're California based or are they someplace else now?
0: uh I, i'm not sure i know they started in california but I, they've definitely gone national and even talked exactly. about going international
1: and i'm not totally sure their whole like uh origin story and stuff but at this point i think to summarize them i'd say there are a bunch of lawyers that look at things through the lawyer microscope or whatever and then address things you know if the if the hammer and the nail analogy they're lawyers and they're looking for lawsuits for the most part but they're also kind of masters of the social and change in awareness. And uh, I don't know what to call it. Like if you look at a, I'm trying to use a bunch of visuals here, but if you put all gun owners on a whiteboard and start to start circles around, you know, hunters and FUDs and this and that, like FPC seems to do a really good job of crossing realms or getting the message out to lots of different types of gun owners compared to, some of the other organizations, which are a little bit more focused or a little more, you know, laser focused, I think. At least uh, they might be laser focused, but FPC has a lot of branches. Anyway, so I guess what I'm asking is, um, FPC being an interesting organization, why is it that you have uh, worked with them? Is that a scale thing, or is it because of the nonprofit thing, where you can't do lobbying because of you can? I don't know how it all works, but I know that some nonprofits can only do certain realms so i guess that was the question when you started what was sort of the story or the result
0: when we when we started they reached out to us and basically said hey look we're here for you and they were i gotta tell you they were just about the only organization that did that in fact some of the other organizations were downright adversarial um which i just disregarded i don't care you know we just have to prove ourselves and, and we did Um, But they just continued on with the conversation and, you know, hey, how can we help? And we'd say, hey, how can we help? You know, we're both playing our position on the field. Um, Like you said, Firearms Policy Coalition, basically, they come up with a lawsuit, they find the funding, they find the attorney, and they find the plaintiff and they put them all together. Um, You know, know, that's different from what we do. And we both agree, I I don't want to do what they do and they don't want to do what we do. So let's just support our, 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 each other and, and wherever there are overlapping circles, you know, even better. So they came to us and said, Hey, we really want to go after this assault weapons ban. And we, we, uh, you know, we, we'd be a plaintiff and can you find more plaintiffs? And, you know, they used our attorney and, and, uh, it's get and their attorney together. And it's gone really, really well. So we get along really, really well. Um, because we, there's no competition, uh, there's no, we, you know, we put our pride aside, and, and we just both are, are focused on doing what we're both good at, so there's no, there's no conflict. It's total, it's, it's actually really great. We had a, at our, at our uh, dinner this year, we actually had a, a section of our dinner where we, we thanked them and, and had Adam Kraut come up and talk about Firearms Policy Coalition, and um, it's been great. It's been really, really wonderful. So we never wanted to, I I really was almost uh, uh, avoiding lawsuits because I really truly just felt like it was making activists lazy to just rely on lawsuits. And I still say that, you know, if knowing about a lawsuit is not activism, you know, learning, you know, reading every, every uh, memo and everything that, you know, that comes along about a lawsuit that's not activism. lawsuits in general i mean if you're an activist unless you're the plaintiff or the attorney or or the donor you know funding the lawsuit that's not activism there's really no there's no room for activism um so you know write them a check you know every year
1: slowest observation ever it's like the slowest sport ever
0: yeah exactly um but write them a check you know, um, and then, you know, go do real effective activism. But reading about a lawsuit is not not effective activism. Um, it's not activism at all. So uh, anyway, we, we do really, really well together. We're, it's, you know, we're happy um, with everything they've done for us. And I really just cannot say enough good about Firearms Policy Coalition and, and what they've done for us.
1: Right on. So, again, I appreciate the time. Uh, since you said I could take some time, I'm going to ask you, I've got three questions I'm going to ask you There's still 2A. Then we're going to talk Red Dawn. So we'll talk okay. Red Dawn as long as we want to talk Red Dawn. I got one more question, or at least not a question so much, as an opportunity to bring something else up that I dig because another reason I wanted to chat with you, when you were chatting with Riding Shotgun with Charlie, I think he said something like, bring something up or mention something and out of nowhere you could have picked anything else in the world and you brought up uh og pumpkin and thrash and raid yeah so so let's since we're chatting and since we're both fans want to take a second and let's just acknowledge both what they got going on
0: sure well um so he asked me who my favorite interview was on gun owners radio okay and those guys by far okay so gun owners radio you know it's it's a two-hour radio show uh gun absolutely love it i never thought i'd be on a radio show but man it's the best thing in the whole world but it's super focused right i mean it's you know it's about it's about guns so there's only so many times you can talk about you know the difference between a nine millimeter and 45 or you know which is better an ak or an ar so I, I really like to talk about people and, you know, hey, what makes this person tick and why are they even interested in this? And, um, and those guys, those two guys had the most interesting story. One of them was, uh, you know, kind of a slacker and more than a slacker. He was, a, he was an alcoholic and a druggie in high school and he was failing miserably at life, frankly, and uh, a Marine recruiter uh put his arm around him and said look you know come here after school and and uh, we're gonna turn your life around and he did this guy ended up going and, and he was marsoc and it was just an outstanding story the other guy um uh he was a uh, a violent uh um gang member in in the anaheim area in in southern california and decided to turn his life around and went into the army and became a ranger anyway what I liked about, I don't know how much we even talked about guns, to be honest with you. I don't remember talking about guns with these guys at all. They're both instructors. They're both outstanding guys. They're big Second Amendment guys. But um, their story was just amazing. I couldn't believe that that existed. I felt so sheltered in my life to find out that these guys did such, such uh, you know, their life was was that torn before the age of 18. And they turned it around and they did it in the military. and i just thought that was amazing so um it, had, it i don't know how much it had to do with the second amendment but it, it sure it just touched my heart
1: right on yeah i think it has a lot to do with the second mainly well i mean because of am a military course but they um everything you just said there is a great summary um now as they're both out and um they're mentors for the young who are living the same lives potentially, or the same pathways as they were. So they're helping the youth of their areas that they came from with their organizations as capitalists, and they're sharing that. Both of them are being really interesting on the way they share that. It's really interesting the way the new generation shares all this stuff. But then they're also helping veterans on their way out, transitioning out as uh, you know from whatever they were either in that area specifically. Sometimes uh, in the events that they have the guys fly in, So depending on if it's a unit type of centric thing or if it's a location centric thing, they're offering opportunities for both the youth and the veterans coming out. And what they do, well, like you said, they're instructors and stuff also, but what they do to kind of relieve stress and and get everybody together and do the social thing like you're talking. And what I really think is cool is this evolution of, okay, so they started out just going out shooting. All right. And then it turned into taking an old vehicle because they had enough money laying around to take an old vehicle and shoot in and out of the vehicle. Then it turned into let's bring everybody out, the vehicle, a taco truck, mariachis, shoot, have a big party afterwards, and that's helping the veterans just to have something to look forward to as they're transitioning out. You know, you know different kinds of situations with PTS injuries. It's just freaking awesome. So two A is involved. It's it's celebrating two A. And and it's also therapeutic uh, version of 2A, which is one of the things that's uh, way underplayed, way under-emphasized and uh, underappreciated in our community. So yeah, I think OG Pumpkin and Thresh Raids pr- uh, projects are freaking awesome. So I appreciate that, again, you could have talked about anybody there and the easy bet would have talked about you know anybody in the community, You know, fill in the blank, somebody in the community, everybody would have been happy. But again thanks for bringing in somebody i guess you're bringing in the southern california part of it but again so what <laughs> um okay so then my three questions and then we talk about red Dawn. <clears throat> uh i, I was going to ask you about using social these are i guess i'm just going to go through i was going to ask you about using media as a tool because that's one of the things you talked about on charlie's show that but you already mentioned it uh, i was also going to chat with you about you the your position on the reliance on lawsuits, but you've addressed that a bunch of times, but those are both in my notes. I'm just making a mention that to people that are out there. Uh, <clears throat> maybe it's more than, and that's three questions. So the first one is, what resources does a second amendment activist need in 2022? What resources slash skills does a second amendment activist need in
0: 2022? I, you know, I, I, as far as the skills, I I, I would turn that around, um, and I, I've I've gotten fairly good at figuring out what what skills a person has, and then exploiting that for the purpose of the Second Amendment. So I guess what I and what I'm what I what I'm saying by, by that is, um, you know, do do what you do what you're good at, but do it in a way that that advances the Second Amendment. So if you're somebody that's good at talking to people. Then great, talk to people and you know figure out some kind of way that you can represent our message and get our message out. But if you're somebody who's not good at talking to people, okay, we'll figure out a way that uh, you know that you can help in a way you know that you're you're not talking to people. Maybe you're good at at uh, you know maybe you're extremely organized and good at spreadsheets. Well, there's a lot of of uh, logistics that go into different events and 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 efforts to uh, to get people to. Uh, uh, you know, vote the right way and that sort of thing. So, um, I, you know, I don't. You know, I don't think people need to go change themselves or, or have to go. You know, um, but figure out what you're good at and then figure out how you can use that towards the towards towards advancing the Second Amendment. Um, the most important thing, though, is just get involved. You know, find a group and get involved. Let them know, hey, I'm here and and I, I you know I need to do something. You know, you have. You know, two three months to get me involved in doing something. You know, I, I can give you three hours a week or whatever, and let them know, um, and and get involved, and they'll they'll find a way to to, to get you involved. Um, so a lot of times you you don't have to go out too too far outside of your comfort zone, um, to, you know, to do things. But I've you know, if you look at the first interview I ever did seven years ago with local media, it was horrible. <laughs> it was horrible. So. Um, you know, learning how to talk to people, learning how to deliver a message, I think is always a it's always a good idea. Um, but it does. But if you can't do that and you're not interested in doing that, it doesn't mean there's not a place for you. Um, but I do think that it's extremely important. We have a lot of people in in this in the Second Amendment movement who are engineers. There's a lot of engineers. Um, we don't have enough people who are sales folks, you know, and I think we need a lot more sales people to get to or, or people that bring sales skills marketing skills that sort of thing to uh the second amendment fight you know um i I think that's extremely crucial um because sales is everything you know when you're when you're trying to sell a message or you're trying to sell a membership or you're trying to uh sell a concept or sell a a candidate you know that sort of thing um so you know either getting better at, at sales in general and talking to people and influencing them and convincing them to to do something or just finding people that are good at sales and getting them to direct their talents towards the second amendment is probably a really good idea. As far as resources, I think we're almost, we're over-resourced. You know, we have everything, you know, people, you know, they, you know, read bills and lawsuits and decisions and they, uh, you know, they, you know, research this and research that, and they read this book and this conceptually and blah, 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 blah. I think we're over resourced. If if anything, I think you should probably cut back on, on on how much, you know, people, you in general. I don't mean you specifically, but people in general, activists in general, should probably, you know, cut back about ten percent on how much they uh, they look at resources. <laughs> I think we're we, we way too much of our heads are full of information. Uh, we probably need to, you know, uh, you know, click out of the the information and you know, close the book and close the magazine and, and roll up our sleeves uh, a little bit more. Um, so I, I think we're, there's plenty of resources out there. Every bit of human knowledge is at our fingertips. Um, I, I think, but I, I don't think, I, I, I think we're all too smart. We're all over, over, <clears throat> over informed and, and under, uh, under, under actioned. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a good answer but
1: sorry, i leave it muted i don't mean to leave it hanging i muted out of reflex because i usually have a bunch of fans going so um uh just let me finish something else the um i think it's sort of or it sounds like you're talking about the same sort of issue we have with trying to buy experience or trying to buy skill with uh scopes and grip angles and red dots right <laughs> we try to buy our way through going to practice so it's like well if i can uh you know throw through 30 bucks at this place if we can get another lawyer on board or i'm just using examples but that's sort of the same idea that we're looking for if we stock up and have enough prepared then we don't have to do anything but in reality we don't really need that much prepared. we just need to be out there doing stuff on a constant basis yeah Right on. So then, um, well, maybe this Berkshire doesn't. Then after that answer, but what are do you have two books that you can recommend?
0: Yes, kind of like uh, the
1: focus of activists.
0: Yeah. Um, first one is so there's there's a, a, a few different books.
1: Um, yeah, you don't there, have to limit it to two if you've got more than that. But.
0: <clears throat> well, I think everybody should look at Jonathan Haidt's work on the on the on the six moral foundations theory. Uh, it's H A I D T. If you just you know. Google I found
1: under, that Which yeah. which was it I found his page on Amazon but which specific um, do you remember the, name of the particular book?
0: Oh, uh, it's it's I can't remember, I apologize. I don't remember the name of it, it's, it's the one, it's one that talks about It's someone that talks about the six uh the six moral foundations uh I'll do it. six. Yeah, six moral foundations theory. But all his work has been has been really fascinating. Particularly that. Um the uh um i think that everyone should read um a biography on uh on uh, gandhi and on uh, martin luther king um i think that both of what they did is extremely important uh to to learn about and how they did it um and then uh rules for radicals uh a lot of people are especially on the right side of the political spectrum are very they're, uh, they don't like it. They're very skeptical of it. They're very critical of Rules for Radicals uh, and very few of them have actually read it. If, you know, I, I would highly recommend, it. if you're going to be an activist, read Rules for Radicals uh, and then apply it to the Second Amendment because it really is kind of a step by step, here's how you organize and empower people. To, you know, uh, get something done when it comes to public policy. There's a couple things in there I don't really agree with. There's a couple things in there that are maybe a little more aggressive than I than I like. But, uh, you know, 80% of that book is extremely, uh, extremely important and effective. So that's that. So Jonathan Haidt, anything about Martin Luther King's life, anything about Gandhi's life, and then Rules for Radicals. That's what I'd recommend.
1: Right on. Well, I feel good. Cause I've read, except for that, John hate, who I've never heard about, uh, I've read the others. So, um, rules radicals is interesting. I'd never thought of it. So you're, you're, I read it as more of like an awareness of the tactics of the other, the opponent. Um, not so much that I was looking at, but I also was looking at it as looking at the opponent's game plan or whatever playbook. So, uh, I didn't think of it as so much like that. I was almost reading it with my, holding my nose, as you can imagine, like, you know, like you just kind of described there. I just wanted to see what it was all about. And I forgot it was years ago. So, uh, to me, it was was surprising how similar it was to the Obama situation. Like, you know, the whole campaign and sort of the, you know, like, so some, so, so many things like, you know, were used by the Obama campaign, I guess, or something. So I must've read
0: it a while ago when I had that in my
1: focus still, but, um,
0: and Obama won
1: twice. Oh yeah, so I mean that's I'm what I'm saying. Like it, it, it worked. <laughs> it I mean it's almost like they, from what I remember, you know, there was a couple of us reading it kind of together, and I remember us I going, you oh, know, this seems very similar to what actually happened. Or like, you know, they literally used a lot of these things. And I remember, I think one of the reasons we read it is because people had mentioned that, you know, so many of these things are right out of this book. Um, I was going to say with the biographies, I know that sometimes biographies can be weird or crazy. Are there any that? just a general biography i guess it's not like uh, there's any specific type of biography and both of these guys are so famous that there's probably multiple biographies
0: yeah there's so many but i mean at the very if you just want to be lazy just go watch the movies <laughs> you know okay. watch watch the movie selma uh about martin luther king um and then uh, watch the uh, movie with ben kingsley about gandhi um yeah, what what they were able to accomplish, I'm not you know neither neither were perfect men. Uh, there's certainly uh, uh, some criticism. Uh, we're all flawed, um, but uh, what they were able to do in in their in the arenas that they're famous for is uh, was amazing. So um, the the rules for radicals, I'll tell you real quick. Um, years ago, before San Diego County gun owners, I was asked to put together a, a seminar teaching people basically how to become a Second Amendment activist i did a bunch of research called a bunch of people and put together this this format kind of this you know outline of what we were going to talk about and had some guest speakers and that sort of thing at the last minute someone suggested rules for radicals and i hadn't i hadn't really read it in i don't know a couple decades or whatever and went back and read through it and realized that you know three quarters of what i'd come up with for my seminar was spelled out in rules for radicals and I, I as, realized like you said it was it was kind well, of an awareness for the enemy's playbook but, but to me, I looked at it through and thought gosh these are really good ideas um so that's that's kind of how I, I tripped across that
1: but well and it's not like that was that Olinsky
0: is that that guy yeah Saul Alinsky, yeah it's not like
1: that guy came up with these he just put a whole bunch of strategies that have been around for as long as probably art of war or something right but he just wrote them bit on a book together and said do things with this intent instead of trying to be polite or civilized.
0: It's like you know,
1: all tactics go, or all tactics apply, or something, right?
0: Yeah, the, and the other one, by the way, the the co- confrontational politics by H. L. Richardson. Confrontational politics by H. L. Richardson. H. L.
1: Richardson, the guy that started Gun Owners of California.
0: That's right. Gun Owners of California, Gun Owners of America. Um, he wrote a book called Confrontational Politics. Um,
1: do you know him? It. Uh
0: no, I, I know his family. Um, Gun Owners of California was was very helpful at the beginning. Um, with Sandy. Well, well, right before we we, we became Sandy County Gun Owners, we did some fundraising and some work with Uh, With gun owners of of California, but I I don't think I I, I don't think I ever met him personally, but that book is excellent
1: Okay Confrontational politics and so people I I don't want to assume anything here people uh, this is State senator from California and from what I understand if I understand the history right a bunch of people decided You know what? Let's get rid of guns in California by going after handguns by going after the manufacturers and that didn't work So they were gonna call it a health thing they were going after all these different strategies they went to the assault weapons ban this hl richardson said nope and figured out ways to address that by creating gun owners of california this is my summary and then that was successful they started playing around with the california stuff at the national level and then gun owners of america created using the same blueprint to prevent the same kind of stuff at the national level and it grew from there
0: yeah this was back in the 70s so you know this predates like NRA ILA. Um, you know he really uh, was a, a pioneer. I mean NRA was around and they were they were doing you know good things, but they were still really focused on being a, a training organization. And you know he, HL Richardson was really getting into the political side. Um, great guy from from all accounts. Great work that he did. But GOA and GOC um, were. You know, thanks to him, and and uh, yeah, he's, he's he's written a few he's written a few books, but but computational politics is is definitely one that, that I like a lot. Uh, Sam Paredes, who runs Gun Owners California, who is he, I hope I get this right, it's it, Sam is his son-in-law, and he turned me onto that book, um, and he's just a wealth of knowledge and an extremely successful Second Amendment guy as well. Uh, you know so him. That's why I, I, yeah, I do know Sam. He's a great guy wonderful role model he's somebody I, would really to
1: he lives by your capital way up north from you
0: lives up yeah close to sacramento
1: i just know i've been trying to do charts of everybody you know the players so cool to be able to uh talk to people who know some of the players in california um so i appreciate that another book um so my last question then we talk right on um this last question I ask everybody and everybody answers it in a different way. You've gotten a completely different awareness of the players and you've got your own uh, ideas for strategy. So my question is, you're, you're given, they go to the gun rights policy conference in a couple of weeks here where all the gun owners rights organizations get together and talk strategy and they go into backroom sessions and whatever, and they figure out, you know, Michael's been doing the most work. We're going to make him the five-star general at 2A, right? And you're going to have all the resources, all the, uh, uh, skill sets of all the different organizations everybody's willing to take marching orders with whatever strategy you come up with I'm going to change it to you're the jed of 2A so that we keep the red dawn <laughs> uh, so you're given command of everything that's on the table right now all the organizations players and, and resources we've got what do you do for 5 years and 10 years where do you take it
0: oh man well, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to, I, let me, let me say a few things. Um, <clears throat> first off, I am not arrogant enough to pretend I know better than, uh, a lot, you know, all these folks at, you know, that are running these organizations. Um, I think that what they're doing and how they're doing it is, is fantastic. Um, So so let me just start there. First off, I mean, truly, I I think that um, uh, from from my vantage point, we need more uh, organizations like, you know, they're modeled after San Diego County gun owners in more um, battleground municipalities, uh, you know, like uh, Phoenix and Las Vegas and, uh, you know, some of the some of the battleground cities, you know, where we're, we're fighting city council by city council. Um, so however, we can fund those, you know, and, and get those uh, going. I mean, I, you know, we have the model. Um, so I, I, I think that the model works. And I think it's, it's not it would not be du- duplicative to, to have these in more cities. Um, it would just be complementary. it would it would absolutely help the efforts of people that are working on the state and federal level um, so concentrating on, on that is, is probably the only thing I have to add. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm literally trying to add um, and, and, you know, attempting to, to do, to do more of, I think anybody that's doing anything good for the second amendment is uh, is I, I'm thankful for it. I'm, I'm uh, you know, truly respect everything they're doing. Um, I, I think that we, we, we make, there's a lot of little mistakes that we make. Like, you know, I talked about earlier that in <clears throat> ignoring media was a huge problem. That was a mistake. So we make a lot of little mistakes, but in general, I think we're doing really, really well. Um, I, I think that, uh, we need to figure out how to get more people involved, um, with either their dime or their time, um because we we just don't have i think the percentage of gun owners who are you know actively funding or volunteering for groups uh is really low i think the percentage is really low so um i don't think it's any anything bad that's happening or anything that that could be improved upon you know, I think it needs to start with, with just getting more people involved. Um, when I do talk to, to organization leaders, um, I, I wish that you know, they're such talented people and they know what, where, where they're going and they know how to get there and the amount of time that they spend on just trying to keep the lights on is uh, detrimental to, the, to the, the cause in general. You know, if we, if you could just, if everybody out there, if all the activists out there could just increase uh, the amount of people who are just, just writing checks to these organizations by 10%, you know, that would be, exp- be exponentially more effective. Um, and, and then the, the the next step is just getting them to show up and, and roll up their sleeves and do some things. Man, we could totally, we could take over the world. You know, you asked uh, a little bit about, um, Earlier about, uh, you know, how many? What's the tipping point? How many people have to be involved, or how many gun owners have to be created in, in California for things to start to get better? I, and I don't know that number. I still don't. I I think it's a it's a great question. Uh, it's a complicated question, but one of the most important things to know is we don't have. Not everyone has to agree with us. We don't have to get a hundred percent of the population to agree with us in order to be effective. We just have to get. 50 plus percent plus one you know to show up on 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 election day you know that's all we got to do we don't have to get a hundred percent of the people who disagree with us to agree with us we just have to get more people who agree with us to actually show up um and, and i think that that's an encouraging thing to know you know it's such a daunting task what we're all trying to do um so i i i think just little tiny things i think that the plans in place i think that the people in place are doing great things. Um, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, you know, people have their strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, uh, that uh, we just need uh, more folks involved. We need to increase the amount of people who care about the Second Amendment as, as much as you and I do. And, uh, you know, again, give their dime and time to something they care about so much but the people running FPC and GOC and GOA and, and, uh, you know, all these other organizations, I I think they're doing a great job and the plans in place and the more time we can give them to work on the plan and the less time that they have to worry about, you know, like I said, keeping the lights on the the better. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's not as quite as, as, as thorough or, or, um, specific an answer is is uh, but it really truly is uh, sincerely what i believe
1: right on that's a more elaborate answer than anybody else i think so i appreciate well maybe not but it's a pretty awesome answer so i appreciate that um let's see i'm gonna make sure we didn't i think we did miss a couple of questions out here so uh gunpowder beauty had asked early earlier she might not be awake anymore she's a young lady in the past few years what has michael seen that needs to wait in the past years what has Michael seen needs to strengthen in citizens in the gun community?
0: Oh, I think that I think the uh, involvement. Um, I, I think we should be unapologetic, you know about about uh, about being gun owners and caring about the Second Amendment, but still humble, you know, so unapologetic but 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 humble. And I think that sometimes we're, uh, you know, too apologetic, or worse, we're we're too arrogant, we're too in your face and aggressive. You know, I don't ever apologize for for supporting uh, the Second Amendment or being a gun owner or wanting more people to be gun owners. Um, but I do it in such a way that uh, uh, you know that that uh, yeah, that people would you know would support and like and relate to me, hopefully. Um, so I, I think that that would help a lot. So their involvement and, and, you know, just getting involved, like, you know, stop complaining, stop, you know, get off the internet. Um, <clears throat> you know, stop, you know, you, stop building your 17th AR. Um, you know, get involved in these organizations and uh, be unapologetic, but humble.
1: um right this is a good way to say it. I mean I, I don't want to say don't get your 17th AR or whatever but the same way that you shuffle in a safe at some point you know at some point a gun owner is gonna get their first gun and it's so weird for me what well, I didn't even I guess I don't remember from your interviews Have you been a gun owner your whole life or you got into it as an adult?
0: Well I was into of course you know I was I was interested as a kid um, but I'm, I turned 21 and raised enough money saved enough money to buy a glock 19 a mossberg 500 and and an ar
1: okay i remember your story now so you've been around guns for a while now but again a lot of people have just gotten into guns recently and so you know making a a choice as a 30 plus year old adult uh to purchase firearms just a totally different uh world or whatever so um uh last try was going with that Going to type in at the same time. Um, but as far as uh yeah, I have no idea where I was going with that one. So that one went off into a tangent. Um Gunpowder Beauty also had asked where is gunprom and when? So it's an opportunity to ask <laughs> again. I know there's more than one. You have one for each of the county organizations.
0: We do. So if you go to gunprom.com, uh it's got all the gunprom information. San Diego has the biggest one. We we ours. Last year is about 750. The year prior is about a thousand people. That's in San Diego, and next year it's September, like 16th, I think. I hope. Um, but then Inland Empire is about to have their first in November, and uh, that's going to be in uh, Riverside County. Uh, it's actually on an Air Force base at a at a museum, uh, an air an air an air museum. Orange County had theirs. Um, back in, like, March at the Orange Hill Restaurant. That was an awesome venue for that. So go to gunprom.com, and, uh, you know, uh, you get to take your pick. We we have one more this year, and then we're going to have three next year. Um, And they're a lot of fun. We Last year, uh, for San Diego this year, I should say, um, gave away, like, I don't know, it was like 37 guns and a a flamethrower. You know, it's a lot of fun. It's really cool. People come in. People come in. I, I really wanted it to be, you know, a um, an important political event, but I also wanted it to be fun. But I didn't want it to be a carnival atmosphere. And I, th- I think we we continue to to strike the the right chord there. Um, everybody has fun. I get a lot of feedback from people. I get mo- I get a lot of feedback from politicians or people that are involved in politics, and they say, you know, I got to go to a lot of these rubber chicken dinner events, and uh, this is the only one my wife likes to go to. She doesn't want to go to any other one. She wants to go to this one. So uh, we tend to have a lot of fun. It tends to be, you know, a really good time, and I'm very, very proud of of, of that, that jewel in our crown, Gun Prom. But go to gunprom.com, and you can check it out
1: does the what's is there a national or, I mean should me, is there a state level there's the gun owners of California is that considered the gun owners group of California I know that there's also like Cal guns and there's some others so is there like Arizona has Arizona citizens defense League we know that that's the annual meeting to go to for second Amendment is there something in California that's the annual meeting that the whole state goes to or is gun prom a, not just a surrogate but like a version of that or the only version of that
0: well i hadn't really thought of it that way but yeah i guess it is um i guess it's kind of kind of turning into that particularly the san diego one is is like i said by by far the biggest um i'm hoping to get about a thousand people again this this coming up next year Um, and it was
1: only because because of a limitation on capacity not a interest in the event that it limited it to a thousand in 2020 from what i understand right
0: uh yeah there was well it was COVID, is what happened california had some goofy law that um that said you you probably got more in
1: other words than if you could have gotten an event or a venue with more than a thousand it's just like there was a restriction artificial restriction
0: exactly yeah exactly so uh you know but i think we're probably gonna it'll probably we'll probably keep it in like the 800 to a thousand range if it gets much over a thousand man it, it gets really tough to handle I mean, we're a political organization, you know, we threw this big party and it's just grown every year, um, you know, and that's great. It's fun. It's a great fundraiser. It's a lot of fun. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're still a political organization. So um, I think we'll probably keep it around 800 to 1,000 people. But I don't know. We'll, we'll never say no if somebody wants to go and, you know, you know, but yeah. Well, it's interesting
1: so, because that whole element of just everything in general. Whenever you're going to do anything that succeeds and people start to attend it, you've got to deal with scale and size and growth. And at some point, it's no longer the same thing anymore. Pretty soon, it's a concert and it's not a a get together and it's not a social event anymore. So it's it, it.
0: it is. It's the weirdest thing. Um, you know, when I started doing all this, some of the decisions I've had to make, you just never think like you know, you have this vision of like, all right, well, I'm going to be on this. uh, um, uh, I'm going to be on this, uh, whatever, I'm going to be right in this politician's face. And I'm going to say this, and I'm going to do that. And, and the reality is, you know, you got to decide what shade of blue should be in your logo, you know, and, (laughs) you know, that kind of stuff, like, well, which brand of t shirt do you guys want to use for your official t shirt? And, you know, some of these decisions that are made, it's, it's, it's kind of hilarious. Uh, it's it's never anticipated, but, you know, gun prom, picking out, you know, what dessert are you going to serve with your, with your court, you know, that kind of stuff. You just never think, but Hey, if, if people are having fun and it, and it gets them involved, uh, you know, we're in, you know, it's definitely a showpiece. It's definitely something that, uh, that we're proud of and it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I hope it franch. I hope you you can either franchise it or people copy it. I don't know what kind of proprietary thing there is, but like I definitely think that's the kind of thing that there's. If someone was ask me about the fifth uh, or being the five star general, the two A, definitely gun prom would be in there. There needs to be one. the the what you're experience, what you talk about experiencing at the gun prom is I'm assuming what I experience when I go to the AZCDL event because it is it's it's well they do a little bit weirder here because we're in arizona and it's a lot of old people and they enjoy open carry so it's the kind of open carry barbecue gun type of thing i don't know if you do that in california but you know so there's a lot of 1911s and chromed revolvers and nobody's fiddling with them but you know it's just that kind of an event where everybody's kind of dressed up arizona dressed up you know which is just kind of normal i don't know probably anyway so it's probably a little more casual than your prom, but the event is getting a bunch of like-minded people together for some time to just kind of relax and understand and kind of get a sit rep of what's been going on and, and just experience uh time together that isn't at a range or a gun show or some kind of a rally or something. So, you know, it's not politically motivated. It's just to celebrate the year. And uh, yeah, I totally understand. And again, I think that that's something that's missing when I talk about the rallies missing some stuff. It's that it's the, what I think you've mentioned, or you talked about being the social element of, your projects, uh, or, you know, creating uh, uh, times for those social elements of gun ownership in general and Second Amendment, right? I mean, Second Amendment specifically, gun ownership in general, gun owners, like you say, just are cool people, and they end up just being down to earth. And even if they're super diverse, they're going to have some stuff in common that is core. Yeah, well, and
0: just bringing the community together, you know, it's, it's an important – in and of itself is an important exercise.
1: I know we're getting late here, but uh, last question from the audience was from Smeggy, who's up in San Francisco area most of the year. Um, have there been any gotcha interviews? He asked that earlier when we were talking about media.
0: I got to tell you, I think I go into every interview as if it's going to be a gotcha interview, um, which is why I prepare so hard. Um, I, I There was one – trying to think of what it was. I can't remember the actual issue, but some new regulation had just passed and went down to the press conference. It was, you know, the the, the anti-gun politician at a press conference. We went down there um, and, uh, you know, got in front of the media, said, hey, you know, if you guys want to, you know, counterpoint, here we are. And a, a news station that was actually usually really good to us their reporter was clearly not a fan. And she edited her story. You know, it wasn't horrible, but it was worse than I thought it should have been. And so I went to the station manager who I knew and and was a really good person and, and had, you know, we'd formed a relationship and just kind of, you know, said, Hey, come on, you know, this isn't fair, you know? And, so instead what they did is uh, they said, well, we can't, we can't do anything now. We do we, the video is the video, but they, rather than putting a couple of quotes in the digital, you know, in the text, they actually printed our entire press release, um, which was extremely rare. They never do that. Um, so it wasn't, I don't know. It was a little bit of a gotcha, but honestly, uh, we go, I go in so prepared and um, and and again, so unapologetically humble that uh, if, if if there probably were gotcha interviews and it did they didn't get me, so. <clears throat> but honestly, I found.
1: Are they usually like not used to that? So once you don't follow the way they expect you to, they're off guard, and you pretty much can just handle the rest of it because they're not able to. They're not ready for that. Like, or is it? Well, just don't care
0: I think. To... I think. If you you go in with a certain mentality of of just kind of being like, hey, you know, geez, we're just really outstanding people and look at what they're trying to do to us. You know, it's harder to get that person, right? Um, But honestly, in in all seriousness, I've In other words, the
1: message itself is slippery. The message itself doesn't leave them any angles to attack.
0: I think, you know, I think that's probably part of it. I think that if you go in with a, you know, um, with with an arrogance, um, you know... uh, and, and and without that that humbleness, I, th- I think that you're easier to get. Um, but uh, but really truly, what I've found is that they really just want they want they just want uh, friction, you know. So they, they don't really they don't I haven't really found a lot of it, and I, we, I've done a lot of interviews with a lot of of journalists, and I haven't really uh, found uh, that they are necessarily trying to further their own personal narrative uh but i have found that they're trying to you know make sure that there's friction so they want to you know they interview both sides and they tell you what the other side says and they try to get something spicy and you know if you just say, stay on message and make sure not to get rattled it's usually you know i haven't had a, i have not a problems. i have far more successes than 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 things that i'm worried or embarrassed about
1: Damn, I'm trying not to ask a bunch of questions, but I got two right now. So that's, I appreciate the answer to that question because that was sure. that was gold right there. That could be conversations for a whole hour or more. Um, OK, so. No, nope, so. I should have wrote them down, um. Would they work outside? Would this, would your concept work outside of California? And has it been tested?
0: It would absolutely work outside of California. um, But what's required is, you know, it wouldn't work in an area that's all anti gun. I try to stay away from conservative, liberal, or Republican, Democrat, or, uh, you know, those kind of labels. I really, truly, so, you know, blue or red try to stay away from that. If, if we go into an area, I think if this group or, or this, this model, were in an area that were, you know, 95% anti-gun, it, it really wouldn't work. If we went into an area that was 95% pro-gun, it really wouldn't work. Um, there has to be kind of a, a mixture, you know, a 40, 60 or a 50, 50, um, kind of mixture so that you have, um, you know, because it really is the kind of a carrot and stick. You know, um, you got to have enough people to be the stick. Um, you know, and you got to have. Uh, there yeah, has to be, be enough
1: of a uh, person to get the word out and to be influential. Is that what you mean by enough people to be a stick?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You, you know, you have to have. There has to be enough people that that if you don't go along with us, um, you know those people will punish you at the polls, you know, or punish you, you know, as far as PR. Um, so there has to be kind of two sides. You know, if you did go Republican, Democrat, it'd have to be like a purple area, you know? Um, so I don't know if it would work in, you know, most counties in Arizona, but it would definitely work in Maricopa County. You know, Maricopa County is definitely... Uh, they, they there needs to be a Maricopa County gun owners, um, Clark County where where Las Vegas is. It would definitely work in Clark County. Um, uh, you know, would it work in Philadelphia, downtown Philadelphia? Uh, probably not. You know, there's probably too many anti-gun folks in in downtown Philadelphia. I, I think so. Um, that's it. Would definitely work work outside of California, but but the key to success is that you need that that mixture, you really need some, some, uh, some strife there. You need enough people to fight and enough people to fight against. Otherwise it's just kind of, it'll fall flat.
1: Right on. Appreciate that. All right. So uh, again, uh, we've been chatting for two hours, about 2A, but there's other important things in the world. One of them is you're on a road trip right now and okay. it doesn't matter where you are for situational uh, uh, security. We'll just mention you're in the state. That's uh,
0: I'm in New Mexico.
1: Yeah. You're in New Mexico. So um, I don't know what kind of time you got. <clears throat> We've already mentioned that you know the places in, in Las Vegas, New Mexico, where most of Red Dawn was filmed. I'm never going to tell people where the filming locations are because, one, it should be earned. But I also just don't like just give, making it that easy. It took a lot of effort. Smeggy out here that was in here helped me find a bunch of the places. We did a bunch of investigative stuff to figure it out through all kinds of means. So I don't want to get too far into that. But on the, but in that realm, as you're before you get out of New Mexico, and again, I don't know what kind of time you got, but I'm assuming you've been to New Mexico, to Las Vegas, New Mexico. Have you been to the big red rock where at the end where the hinds are and they're no. eating the grapefruits and they squirt that? Oh, my okay. God.
0: That would be. No diff- I haven't. I haven't been there. But when it's I was in. Las Vegas. Was that?
1: It's nowhere near Las Vegas, is the problem. It's, it's I can tell you approximately, but I'll tell you it's two, it's four hours off your route. That's the same. Oh, well. <laughs>
0: okay. I, okay. I, 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 I've been here, here's what happened. We went, I went to Las Vegas, New Mexico. I don't remember this was 10 years ago. And just driving around the, the the town, I was like, oh my gosh, that's this and that's that. And here's where this was filmed. It was, so
1: you knew when you were going there that you were going there to see the Red Dawn filming locations that's it change.
0: that's the only reason okay I, so what happened was, i'll just tell you real quick i lived in san diego my brother was moving
1: on all night so you don't have to go real quick it's all up to you but if you need to go quicker because i understand we've been chatting no. but otherwise i'll talk all night about Red now so i was on, about-
0: i was on a i was on a road trip with my brother who was moving to florida from san diego to florida and i said okay uh you know i'll go with you but one 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 stipulation and we we went to las vegas new mexico which is you know 2 3 hours whatever
1: not that of the bad way. off 40 yeah, yeah that's not too bad.
0: so i'm i drive into the city and i'm like i had no plan i hadn't researched it or anything i was just like yeah let's oh, see so how man. this goes okay and i'm just like oh my god you know there's the the mural yeah. and oh my god the that's the, this and that's that and i was i couldn't believe it i could not believe what was what i was seeing what was going on and then we drove uh, a few hours out of Las Vegas, Las Vegas uh, New Mexico, to you know, towards towards Texas, and I was definitely I was like, okay, this definitely looks like what you're describing, you know, that end scene, you know, but I no, I didn't actually see, you know, the area.
1: Well, it definitely, that area all looks like it. So, yeah, I mean, that's obviously where it was all filmed. But um, if you went from Las Vegas, New Mexico towards Texas, you definitely did not see the rock we're talking about where the Heinz and everything, that final chapter where Robert gets it and Erica uh, grabs the grenade. grenade, So, okay, unfortunately, you're not driving through Arizona. But for future reference, in Cape Verde, Arizona, there's a place called Copper Star, and it's the longest indoor range in Arizona pretty cool range it's right off of the uh, 10 10 between Flagstaff and or between Phoenix and Flagstaff right off the road literally like right it's right at the e- exit copper star the RPK the Valmet that they turned into an RPK Lone yeah. Night and all that is yeah. at that range and you can shoot the gun that was Patrick Swayze's gun <laughs> so that's, that's the cool. place copper star in Camp Verde Arizona but uh you're not on that route but so there's the rock from that scene because that's where that rpk comes into play and everything she gets left with and all that but uh so next time you're driving in that route i'll tell you where that is i don't tell anybody because here's how we found it out i drive around back whenever i can uh kind of in debt from doing this but i drive around looking at gun shows and gun shops and museums right so me and my friend from canada were driving through that area going up to uh the the las vegas again i've probably been there like five times because i keep discovering new locations and i go back there to find them stand on them essentially i'll usually do this show live from one of the locations so uh um so we're driving through santa fe which i'm not a big fan of as i mentioned earlier from the 2a rallies because it's a little goofy town and it's not gun friendly but um we stopped in a gun shop there they only have one gun shop at the time and it turned out to be a gun shop where they filmed the move the show longmire that television show that was kind of cool at the time so we were talking to the lady about how they filmed longmire and she goes what are you guys here for and i go hmm well we're here to see the red dawn you know or red dawn filming locations and i didn't know if i wanted to bring it up because i'd probably look like an idiot or whatever and she goes oh and blah 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 so i got told by a lady who ran a gun shop and shooting range in santa fe new mexico where that rock is right sure. she told me where that rock is so i told her i'll never tell anybody where that rock is i'll tell them you have to go to that gun shop and ask her so that way she can oh, wow. to visit right but I'll tell you because yeah. I don't think gun shop exists anymore. But I won't tell anybody else in the world because it's so easy to find that it'll get ruined. So I don't uh-huh. tell anybody that. But it's unfortunately it's nowhere near where you're at. It's in a different direction and sucks. But um, in a future trip, so you're going north out of New Mexico from Las Vegas, and you're going right. to go to town. And you got the lot, the NRA Whittingham Center, which is the biggest range we've got in the country. There's the NRA Museum there, which is some rich guy's collection. It's Brownells, I think, his collection. And then there's a library there. So it's worth stopping. You can get some memorabilia or whatever, and it's almost always open. It's the, You can drive around the range if you got time. It's 10 minutes off the highway. And then if you fart around on it, it's huge. So it'll probably take you half an hour just to fart around and look at a couple of the ranges. But you could say you've been there. And you'll almost always see antelope. The antelopes don't even care. They'll walk right up to your vehicle. It's kind of neat. Uh, you know, Just hang out, say you've been there. It'll probably take you 40 minutes off of your trip. So all together, getting there, hanging out. And if you got to get gas in Raton anyway, you know, it might work out. If not, you know, it's right there all the time. But all too right. many people pass Good
0: it. Good I like
1: it. So the, so the next stop, Colorado Springs, Colorado, Dragon Man's. And you said you had not heard of Dragon Man's. And I said, okay, we're going live and we're going to talk about this live. So I'm going to bring up my screen share here. I'm going to bring in Sharon. Screen Sharon's going to come in. And I'm going to bring up my screen here. This is the comments from everybody. Well, there's nobody showing up live anymore. We're kind of late. But uh, I've got a place over here. Dragon Man's uh, was started in 1982. He's got 3,000 firearms. This is a private collection.
0: Oh, I know this guy now. I know what you're talking about. I don't think I knew that was the name. Okay.
1: So he's in Colorado Springs. From your drought, it'll take you about half an hour, something-ish, to get to him. He's got the largest private museum. It's open to the public. If you're driving by on a Saturday or Sunday, the 17th, if that's anywhere near it, it probably isn't. But uh, next weekend is his machine gun shoot, his 30th annual machine gun shoot. So you're actually gonna be driving by, I'm assuming somewhere in the middle of the week, you could literally drop by and hang out and meet Melissa, his daughter who runs his gun shop. This is a picture of his gun shop. I'll make these way bigger and doing this tiny little pictures. So he's got this classic picture. I'll link you on the Instagram. Uh, And he's got a bunch of, just a cool shop. He's a dragon man is because of his motorcycle. He does Harley Davidson motorcycle stuff. He's got a huge military vehicle collection. His, his museum is insane. So, uh, I mean, I've been to all the museums and it's, it's top notch. It's insane. Everything is alive. There's nothing a dummy in here. Everything is alive. Everything, nothing is demilled. It's just a, it's a a, a, happen. It's a, it's something that's totally unique in the industry uh, celebration of everything two a So he's about 40 minutes to, you know, back and forth from the highway. So we can figure maybe two, three hours. If you spent an hour or something there just to experience it. So that's, that's the big thing I was going to mention. Then you're going to head up to Denver and I don't really I don't think of anything that I can think of. that's all that awesome in Denver. A couple of gun shops are interesting. And then, uh, you're coming back through Utah and then Vegas. Yeah. Um, uh,
0: yes, down through, uh, um, uh, down through uh, where, Park uh, City area. Yeah, through no through um, uh, Zion. We're going to Zion.
1: Yeah, I don't know what Zion is. So, or no, is that yeah. further south than than Salt Lake City?
0: Zion's South Utah. Yeah, way south, way south. It's okay, all so. You're like going like across.
1: You're not even going all the way up to Denver. Then you're going across before you hit Denver right okay then i'll tell you off here about a place that i might know that you might want to check out that does something that's just a manufacturer or whatever but okay i can't think of anything else so except for the stuff in vegas which i'm sure you're familiar with or yeah probably with as far as machine gun rentals and stuff but i'll talk to you off here in a second about some of the stuff in vegas in case i can help you with a hook up there but uh awesome again thank you for uh joining us and uh
0: is awesome thank you so much
1: what I'll try to do, what I've been doing is having these uh, interviews on Mondays with individuals. And then this first one, I try to let you just have a chat, but then usually I interrupt and have conversations with people. So what I do is the last Monday of the month is I bring everybody back. So any, I'm going to just start leaving the invite out to anybody. So think of the last weekend of the month. Anytime you want to chat 2 a, you'll have an open invite and, you know, just an eclectic group, I guess, of everybody who, I, who accepts an invitation to join in. Um so you've got an open invitation of that, but hopefully, again, we've got some other conversations that we'll have and we'll uh, keep you in the email list. So when you've got the opportunity to join in, you're always welcome. And uh, if anything I can ever do, I've got you know some resources that have been around, been around for a while. So if anything we can do uh, to help you guys out in all your different projects, let us know. Well, um, I'm him. going to let you end the show uh, with anything you want to plug, an elevator speech or uh, kind of wrap it up. And then I'll plug my ending here and then we'll chat off here for a, a bit.
0: Uh, you know what? Just check out San Diego County Gun Owners.com. check out Gun and check out Gun uh, gunprom.com.
1: Right now, I've got links to all of them in the list here. So thanks again, everybody. I know most people are probably not listening to this live anymore, but for listening in the future, um, do you guys have a Patreon? No. Okay, so the uh, best way to uh, support it is to get it to the website and buy yes. a membership.
0: Yep. Make a donation. Become a member. Make a donation. Do Absolutely.
1: Don't need to be a resident of California or some Southern California to be a member to support the organization.
0: Uh, no, no. Nope. Any we have members from all over the place. So yeah.
1: Well, thanks again. I'll uh, run it short here. I'll just throw this in here. Tonight's episode, The Endangered Species. Thank you for supporting our projects. If you'd like to buy us a cup of coffee, check out our Patreon channel. The guys and gals at gunwebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thank you for watching. Gunwebsites.com